Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock here in the United Kingdom and it is the 21st of the 4th 21 and it's Series 16, Episode 16. So there's an element of... uh, of synchronicity tonight. I didn't mean synchronicity. Repetition. Um, Say again? Repetition. Well, yes, repetition, I suppose. Um, I've, I've, so, considering I talk for a living, I can't make my words work tonight, which is a bit of a bit of a worry. Um, anyway, um, it is sixteen, sixteen, twenty-one, four, twenty-one, and it's good to have your company wherever you are in the world. You just heard there in the background up in London the dulcet tones of Tim Gray, who will tell us what we have on a pack show tonight. Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be joined by a selection of special guests uh, and our regular contributors. So we'll have Nick Damon, we'll have Shay Adam, we'll have Johnny Palmer, we will have Vincent Voss, uh, we will have uh, Selim Roland, and we have a big interview with Dave Smithson tonight. And that's all about the return to motorsport uh, in Europe and how uh, it's being done in a safe way. Yeah, Dave is the brand and communications manager for the British Motor Racing Marshals Club. That's our big interview tonight. We'll get Dave on the line. Uh, your contributions, of course, to us here on At Specutainment. Uh, hello to Matt Endine, who is saving the podcast for the drive to Brant Hatch tomorrow for the first evening grass auto test in the year of the year in the ZR. Oh, and he's, he's, he's sent me the auto No, fantastic. Oh, so you get them in advance to learn them? Oh, that's... I remember having to walk around them when I did auto tests, although I never... I think I did one on grass. It was always on gravel. Uh, right turn lover spending the evening with his responsible adults catching up on the podcast. Uh, and uh, Brody, just add water, never fails. Best race ever, TM. I think we might be having a disagreement about that, Brody. I uh, hope things are well. Uh, Jay Atkinson. I have to say Jay Atkinson because I don't know what the J stands for. Is it Wednesday already? Yes, it is. Welcome along. Looking forward to listening live tonight again, says Kevin Payne. Plenty of motorsport for the team to get themselves stuck into. Uh, it's AFAs for Jesse Young tonight. That's uh, apologies for absence if you're new to this. Buzzing that Russ and Ingle will make a return to the Bathurst 1000 with a wildcard triple eight entry this October alongside Super 2 young gun Brock Feeney. Breaking news so from as if the listeners are under. doing the news instead of me. I know. 
<laughs> uh, Kevin Payne is on double duty tonight, by the way. He's watching a bit of Premiership football uh, as well, hoping the home team can unexpectedly humiliate a Champions League team as happened earlier in the season. Uh, yes. Uh, Patrick Drawn listening in tonight. Hello to Alan Prosser. To Otter FR, who got the Z3 through its MOT. That's the Department of Transport test. For those that don't know or outside the UK, no problem. It's always stressful, isn't it, Otter? It really is. Even when you've gone over the car yourself and you've checked all the lights and you've had someone run around to make sure your brake lights are working and you've filled up your washer bottles and you've done everything that you think. It's, I, I find it immensely stressful taking the uh, Hindhoff fleet for their MOTs. Hello to Oliver Shiles, who is listening. Preparation to before tomorrow's birthday celebrations. Now, Oliver, you don't say whose birthday. If it is, if it's yours, happy birthday for tomorrow. Uh, if it's one of the family, happy birthday for tomorrow. And happy Dave birthday Alcock for says, today to uh, Her Majesty. Uh, indeed. Indeed so. And aren't, aren't we all thinking about her at the moment? Good we'll evening, Inspector We'll be standing for the later. Oh, excellent. Uh, uh, a big weekend this weekend and a big roll call for all of you to keep an eye on. Um, certainly it's like herding cats this weekend. More about our uh, massive, massive uh, amount of motorsport we're involved with this weekend, both in uh, full metal and virtually. Uh, Dave's also saying, looking forward to joining you all and the motorsport Cognacenti for tonight's show. Uh, hello, Collective. Simon Kay is AFA tonight, catching up on work after a week's holiday. Looking forward uh, to listening to the archive when walking the dog tomorrow. And he says, loved your ESL tweets. I did get a little bit wound up about TSL, ESL, whatever they were going to call themselves. Uh, it's the archive for me again, says Ian McCarthy, uh, where you'll, of course, be joining me for breakfast uh, in the future, presumably. Um what else have we got? Carol Brink tuning in from a grey Monterey, California Bay today. Sean Randall, uh, it's his birthday today. He's going to switch off everything uh, else and listen live. Uh, he's got a fantastic birthday cake that he's tweeted uh, at Spectatainment. Uh, actually, stand by a second. This is, doesn't make great radio, but I'm doing this live. I'm actually retweeting that, Sean, uh, as we speak. Uh, and ties in a bit of oil. Was uh, was all the ZR needed? Says Otter. Chris Suku, no AFAs tonight. Wending my way to the study in the first hour and pottering there in the second. Cheers. Well, that's a good point. I don't have uh, a beverage of any description tonight. Graham in- Ingleby is catching up on the archive. Hello to Jack Martin. Good morning to you, Jack Martin. I should say. Daniel Summerskill will be listening to the pod uh, in the morning. David Tubrews listening. Uh, live, good evening, collective. He says, Alex says no AFAs, an overly slow <laughs> roasted lamb supper. We had brisket tonight. He did a slow cooked brisket with a barbecue uh, sauce that was basted over it. And um, the brilliant Tom Courage's uh, two cabbage salad. It was fantastic. Uh, Serafina, so much racing last weekend, tuning in live tonight here. Everything uh, that is going on. Michael Denny, Moni Elysium for the, from the Pacific uh, Northwest. Hello, Moni. Good to uh, hear you. Patrick Drawn and Jesse all tuned in tonight. And I fear that there may be some more coming in as well. Doug Amner, 
No Airface on the sofa with cider and Rolos tonight. Uh, and Sarah Rigby just got in an MS sang- sandwich and a mug of Yorkshire tea uh, on National Tea Day. Are we allowed to have that anymore? Has bad connotations, apparently, I'm hearing from the Jane Eyre Society. Dave Monks, no airface, hunched over the engine of the 2002 again, mucking around with a vacuum advance and programmable distributor. Woo-hoo. And Drew Bergwall. Hello, Drew. Long time no here. Tuning in from Atlanta. Uh, keep your tweets coming in. At Specutainment, let's head to our news desk where Tim is shuffling his papers and will bring us the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And their top story is... A bit of music. <laughs> oh, I know where you're going with this. Uh, let's introduce two of our contributors for this evening. Uh, hello, Shay Adam. Hello. And hello, Nick Damon. Ah, good evening, Tim. Good evening, Shay. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. I just, I would suggest that Tim, uh, that uh, Nick rather, could do a rather nice, what, a bit of a samba? Would this be a samba, Nick, or a bit of a what, pasodoble or something? Or samba salsa type thing? Yeah. 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 Do you know what this song is, uh, Nick? To... Pardon? Do you know what this track is? No. It sounds like a really long run of the La Bamba, but I don't think it is. Shay. No. I bet it's called Miami something. Almost in Miami. Almost it's by Miami, Miami Sound Machine. It's not by Miami Sound Machine. It's by uh, Bette Midler. Oh. Well, I, I thought you might yet. guess it, Nick. Uh, it's called Only in Miami. Only in Miami. Uh, <laughs> it's that, is, that, uh, is that a clue to our top story, then? Yes, that is this. don't recognise that one either. I don't. I feel no, I should though. This is the Folds. Or Folds, because it's the... And it's called Miami. Fold. Right. Are we just going to play lots of tunes with Miami in them? <laughs> That's Miami Vice. Jan Hammer, uh, Jan Hammer, the Miami Vice thing. It is. Yeah, got that one. Uh, so they voted for it. And uh, it will take place uh, for the next 10 years, starting in 2022. This is the... Formula One Grand Prix of Miami. Hey, can't wait. You mean the London Luton Grand Prix, as we're calling it? London Luton Grand Prix. <laughs> it is as close to Miami as London Luton is to, to I, London. I, I refuse to call it the Miami Grand Prix. For now, I only refer to the London Luton Grand Prix. <laughs> it, it's the Grand Prix. To be fair, you can of... get to Luton in about 20 minutes from central London. I. I... How? Helicopter. On the train. 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 I was going to say on the train. <laughs> the, on the Thames uh, link. Sorry, I don't know what those are. Um, oh, God. What? Mixing with the general public, love? You're not going to do <laughs> that, Nick, are you? Hang on. Look, it, it may have been snobbery before. It's, it's self-preservation now. That's a fair point. Well made and, and beautifully presented. Can we not just call it the Grand Prix of the Hard Rock Cafe car park? Would that not, Shea Adam, be somewhat more accurate? Very, very accurate. Uh, I've done a little bit of research, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, If you would like to stay in the true glitz and glamour part of Miami, say, for example, the Fontainebleau on Miami Beach, which is a very popular and very famous hotel, 
It will take you about 35 minutes to get to the racetrack in the morning if there is absolutely no traffic whatsoever. There's never no traffic in Miami. There's never exactly. no gra- traffic point. on the Grand Prix weekend either. Well, you don't know that yet. It's, it probably Anywhere. won't make much of a difference to Miami uh, in terms of what's going on. But the Hard Rock Stadium is one mile from the border with Broward County. So it is inside the realm of Miami-Dade County Just. still, but barely. Yes. Okay. Shay, how long would it take me uh, to get from my chosen hotel, which is the Holiday in Miami Beach Oceanfront? About the, about 45 minutes, I reckon. Stand by and I, I will Google map that. I, I, I reckon about 45, 50 minutes with absolutely no traffic. Again. Do you not feel that there's uh, music in the background now whilst, uh, whilst she apps? <laughs> Holiday in. <laughs> I could have done it quicker than that. Why do you want to know that, Tim? Well, if I was going to Miami, well, whenever I've been to Miami, that's the hotel I've stayed in. It's a nice well, hotel. Well, in fairness, it's not too far from the Fontainebleau, no, so it's not that much of a difference. Um, about the same, but it is currently 38 minutes on I-95 if you take the toll lanes. So it's not exactly the quickest trip in the world. Shit. Now, John, you'd Tip. stay at the Intercontinental, wouldn't you? Uh, I've stayed at the Intercontinental before, and I probably... Um, well, they would. Ha- the man on the front desk would have to have a better attitude to make me want to stay okay, there. Okay, there's a Hotel Indigo, <laughs> Miami Brickell. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, to be honest, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the uh, Intercon uh, at Miami. It's very, you just very don't like lovely. the doorman. The, the, I didn't, didn't like it all, the guy on, on the door, who was uh, a bit offhand about our car parking requirements, but yeah, no, never mind. So, and that would be, I'm guessing again, that's 35, 40 minutes. If you're staying in Brickell, it's actually a, a bit shorter because you're not driving out across 195 to get to the beach or 395, but it's still 35 minutes. Right. Um, I, I, I think we need to move on from traffic news of Miami and actually discuss <laughs> why and what changed to make this happen, Share We were talking about this last week because they were about to go into the meeting around yeah. about the time we were having the show. Um, how many cubic yards of dollars have been dropped off there then? I mean, what has happened? Well, the difference is that there has been a change of power. The mayor Ah. of Miami Gardens as of January 1st is now Rodney Harris. And to give Rodney credit, his mission is to bring projects and economic growth to Miami Gardens. That's what he's been running on. That's his entire background. So the fact that he would see something as grandiose as the Miami Grand Prix, an opportunity to bring money into the community, he would push very hard for that to happen. They are talking about the fact that they will bring $5 million for community benefits uh, in terms of what they will, like money that they will hand over. But they said it's going to be over the course of the 10 years. They don't stipulate when it's going to arrive, in what quantities, uh, how it will be distributed, or to whom or where. So they did have to approve a sort of um, like a, a school benefit. They're going to do internships in regards to the schools every year. They're going to try and help young people get into the STEM programs to try and build interest. But they haven't explicitly said anything yet or put out a timeline, which makes me a bit concerned about how this money is going to appear and then where it's going to be distributed. Because I've talked about it before, 
Miami Gardens is the neighborhood where the stadium is. Yeah. It is safer than 5% of U.S. cities. The crime rate of Miami Gardens is in the 95th percentile of cities in the United States. Can I, I, I'll play slightly devil's advocate. By the way, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, for those that, that didn't know. Um, you could have said that back down through the years about Long Beach when Grand Prix first went there, Nick, and look at Long Beach now. Yes, it's been cleaned up. And let's be honest, the, it's still way safer than Sao Paulo, um, <laughs> where, you know, where everyone fears to tread, let alone angels. Um, I mean, you know, they've, they've signed it up. They've, they've, they've managed to achieve what they want to achieve. They say they're going to write it next year. They say it's going to run for 10 years. It's a very long time to wait, but I'll be really honest with you. I can't see it. This isn't going to last 10 years. They'll lose interest after about four. But that's the point. But, you know, I... I... Right. Where, uh, by the way, uh, the responsible adult has just reminded me that um, they upgraded us to a very lovely suite in the uh, Miami Intercon, and it was very lovely indeed. Um, we had to make phone calls to each other. It was that big. Um, when are we talking? What time of year? Do we know what time of year this is happening? Yes, we do. So this is the interesting thing. Um, it came out today that a June date is likely for the 2020. Yeah, exactly. So weather-wise, you're talking about a sauna. But part of the reason that they had to make it a race that was later in the second quarter, which is when they've announced that they wanted to have it to keep it far away from the Austin Grand Prix at the end of the year, they have a stipulation that is non-negotiable. No racetrack action will take place prior than 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon if the schools are in session, Ah. nor after sunset on any day. Now, schools in Florida typically get out the second week of June. So if we're going to have the Grand Prix, we're realistically looking about the same time as Le Mans, which again, sauna season. It's going to be like racing in Malaysia. Um But they now have to contend with, if they want to hold the race in May, they can't do any support races or any track running whatsoever before 2.30 on Friday. Right. Okay. The thing to remember is that'll be be paired up with Canada. Yes. Yes, because that's normally Um, around Le Mans. Not quite sure. I don't think they want to be over in the States for two weeks. Not quite sure how they're going to avoid Le Mans then. Well, unless they have a... Le Mans weekend and the weekend after Le Mans or the weekend before Le Mans and Le Mans weekend. Yeah, but they, they wouldn't, ideally, they wouldn't want to do a two-week arc. They want to do it back-to-back. Well, that's what I'm saying. The weekend before Le Mans and Le Mans weekend. They've had... Yes, I, I just said they can't avoid Le Mans. And they're supposed no, to no, avoid they can, Le Mans. no, they can't avoid Le Mans. They could do Le Mans weekend and the weekend after. You know, they're supposed to. Well, I suppose they could push it. I mean, I, I don't know. It's all, it's all... It could be the last weekend in June... Um, it depends when Le Mans falls as well, of course. Cause it if the ACO keeps somewhere. pushing it back to August and September, then they can use as many weeks <laughs> in June as they want. <laughs> yes, that is a fair point. Well made. Um, there are other sporting events here that have to be taken into consideration in, in that part of Florida. The Miami Open, which has been moved from Key Biscayne, where it was the NASDAQ tournament for many, many years, the the tennis, that now takes place in the parking lot. Yes, that very same parking lot. No way! Not all of it. They have... They have purpose-built tennis courts now, in fairness, so it's not like they're just sending professionals out with the ball and setting up nets. Hang on, I'm just um, going to put these lines down for you. Is that all, is that all right? Is that all right, Mr. Djokovic? That's fine. No, no, that one, that one's the SUV parking space, and that one's parent and child. Don't worry about that. that don't worry about those lines. 
so that well, is taking you can't place that because of the boot sale yes yeah that one is taking place the last uh, couple of weeks of march and then into april so assuming they need time to actually put the track together they would not be able to hold it any sooner than may and in may school is still in session so again the vicious cycle repeats uh, this from uh, Elif Filipponi. Understand the expense and potential logistical nightmare of upgrading a circuit in the US to grade one. But of uh, all the great circuits that US has to offer, surely it's a bit disappointing to have the pinnacle of motorsports in a parking lot in Florida. Hey, mm-hmm. Nick, look at your history again. Parking lot Grand Prix in the US. Yeah, some, some of them even last two years. Mm. So we've got Detroit, Dallas, Las Vegas... I miss one? They, 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 Long they, Beach. They, they parking lot ones. Well, no, uh, Long Beach was Long on Beach the streets. That's a circuit. Mm. That was on the streets. Say again, Shay? Detroit was on the streets back in the olden days. It was. It was. We've driven around it because Jeremy made sure we were driven around it the first year we went there, didn't we? Uh, we yeah. yeah. <laughs> part of our... Part... They, 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 they work really well, especially in the height of summer because that's always gone down well as well, isn't it? Mm. Mm. In fairness, the, uh, the driver's a lot fitter these days, so uh, uh, they should be all right. Nick, uh, Nick Hollands has said, I'm sure I read it, was going to be the season opener for Miami. Wow. Not a chance. That's, Q2. That's, no, they'll sell that some. Second, they, they're selling that to Bahrain, aren't they? Because um, Australia, because Australia's moved to November this year, if it happens, um, they don't want to start the next, the next season. Uh, 2022 so they want to stay in that position for a couple of years so they've now sold the opening race of Bahrain right we've got an awful lot to get through tonight final word from Shea on this because she knows the area she was down there last week when all this was was going on how's this gone down with the um with the locals I mean how's it been reported and and, and how's it been received not well um to, to put it bluntly when I was down there, this happened on Wednesday, and then, of course, the media was talking about it a little bit on Thursday, but not giving it the sort of attention that Liberty Media certainly would have hoped. Um, but when they were interviewing people in the area, they were not very happy about it. And the other thing that was being mentioned was the fact that discounted tickets would be offered for residents. Well, if they're discounting the tickets to a couple hundred dollars per ticket for the weekend, you're talking about an area where the median income for the household is $44,000 a year. People who live in this region of Miami are not the same people who are going for steak and lobster dinners on Miami Beach every weekend. It's a very different audience, and the people who live in the area don't want their streets to be closed off. And and they did say no local streets will be closed off for the purpose of racing. But anytime you have a Dolphins game there, which is eight times a year minimum – there is a great deal of effect to the neighborhoods. Yeah. They're not thrilled about having something else at the stadium in the quote-unquote off-season. Uh, Shea Adam joining us tonight with Nick Damon on Midweek Motorsports Series 16, Episode 16. Uh, Tim, I'd expect your Damon, by the way, if you'd like to get in touch with us. Tim, uh, where do we go next? If you were to uh, buy a property on a leasehold, uh, what sort of length of lease would you consider the absolute minimum? Depends what your mortgage company says. It used to be 99 years here, but you, you'd get bits of that left. So, what, 40, 50 years maybe? Yeah, I'd say so. Do you think, yeah. you, you agree though that 20 years is uh, not a long time at all? No. Not for a house. Or indeed any property. if you've property. got somebody to pass it, onto if it's a business premises and and you know and you've got a a medium and long-term plan that means you might not be in there different matter but if it's uh, a very specialist business premises 
that you would have to invest a lot of equipment into. Right. Um, what, like built car factory? Like, 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 um, like the McLaren Technology Centre. Oh, my God. They sold that ages ago. They're leasing it back. Uh, Global Net Lease is a company that's just paid £170 million How is pounds this story, for it. Because this, this was sorted out back end of last year that they were selling it and leasing it back. Well, yes. That was when they said they were going to do it. And, uh, no, it was all sorted. It, it was September when it went on the market. Um, the actual transaction is expected to close by the end of June. Yeah, that's um, solicit this for you, isn't it? <laughs> that's convincing. Uh, and have they really only leased? So they've only leased it to McLaren for for twenty years. Is that what you're yes, saying, Tim? Is that correct. the story, effectively? That's the story. Twenty years. Wow. So McLaren has to find a new home by 2040. Or or renegotiate its lease. Or renegotiate its lease. Yes. Um, I don't know how I feel about that as a bit, but I, I suppose twenty years is quite a long time in motor racing, Nick, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, who knows how many people they, they, when they, the cost cap carries on cost cap, they may need a, like a small lockup somewhere in the in, you know in Woking, you know. Have they still got? I think they've still got the original building, haven't they? Yeah, that's McLaren Automotive, isn't it? Hmm. It's big enough to run a Formula One team is out it, of. Is, is, is it this cars or the Skunk Works team? I think mean, the Skunk Works team is out there, isn't it? It the, is the now. Special special vehicle operations from McLaren who were, who were out there. But then, in fairness, a lot of the McLaren road, road car stuff is, was a bit up in the air last year, so I'm not quite sure where it all is. Hmm, okay. Uh, t- Nick will be uh, doing his F1 team by team uh, later on. I presume that's coming up in hour two, is it? It's coming up in hour two, yes. Excellent. It's a very busy hour We've two. We've got uh, one, well. one, one more question on this story, which uh, okay. is uh, who designed the McLaren Technology Centre? Someone famous. Yes. Norman Foster. Norman Foster is Norman correct. <sighs> and and what now? What other motorsport connection is there with Norman Foster and Norman Foster Associates? Do you know that, Nick? Uh, I assume they designed it. Didn't design the wing, did they? Did they be no, shot? Well, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, the current, the new London bus. Was the normal well, the, the the one that is meant to evoke the route master was right, done okay, by yeah. Norman Foster Associates with Marek Reichman from Aston Martin. Oh, that is tenuous, though. I know, but I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's it's not about what you know; it's about how you can crowbar it into a conversation. Uh, midweek motorsport sixteen sixteen on twenty one four twenty one, and Tim has what next? Oh, uh, we're off to IndyCar next. Hooray! <laughs> In honor of you, Nick. Right. Come on. <laughs> calm down, calm down. That's <laughs> cultural appropriation, that. That's, that's... Shane's got her own cat. Do I have to go, hello, all the time then? Let's <laughs> <laughs> that demarcation, love, all right? Uh, Barber, Motorsport Park, just yes. outside Birmingham, Alabama. The Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama, presented by Amfirst. And a first-time IndyCar win for Spaniard Alex Palo. Let's hear from him. I mean, it was possible because we, we knew we had the best team, we had the best car, so yeah, it was possible, and Ricky, my chief engineer, told me, you cannot win them all. 
unless you win the first one. So we did it. It's amazing. Chip, all, all the team did an amazing job. Like we had the best cars, um, and I just felt amazing. It's amazing to be to be part of the winning uh, drivers. Uh, we're starting strong, and we'll keep it strong. Um, it was just the team that was telling me on the radio, yeah, keep it doing like you're doing or hit that mileage. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll hit it. It's, it's easy. Um, so, yeah, we did it. I think every, it was one of those, day, those days when everything went well. Um, we got good fuel mileage, good tire management and good pace. So uh, it was an amazing race. Everything went well for Alex Palo. Not so uh, well for Joseph Newgarden, Shay. No, no, uh, things did not go well, and I apologize fully to Colton Herta for picking him on our IndyCar preview show <laughs> to win the race because uh, practice two, things went bad, and then the start of the race, Joseph Newgarden, very strange. Um, the car got light, he spun, and then chaos rained down. It included um, Marcus Erickson, Joseph Newgarden, Ryan hunter Ray was one of the other cars that was taken out. Uh, Colton, of course, was not able to continue after that. Um, Max Chilton was involved. It was just a very strange wreck to sort of get things kicked off. But um, Graham Rahal and Jimmy Johnson, I think, were the two that made yeah. it through sort of, well, not completely unscathed, but less scathed than everyone else. And from there on out, it was a clean race. I, I, I like the idea that Alex Palo said that he had the best car out there. They're all the same car. Or obviously, that there's two different engine uh, <laughs> options, but they're all the same car. What he did have was really good tactics. And quite frankly, he drove very well and they executed the plan. They decided pretty early on that after that incident that they were going for the two-stop strategy and they committed to it completely. And even at the end, he he was obviously feeling comfortable enough to not have to pass the lap cars and, and, mm. and finished at, at the front of the field. I thought it was an absolute textbook race by him and the team. Can I be perfectly blunt? Mm. Um, NBC did not time... Well, the race started a few minutes late because of a power outage that they had. Correct. My, my DVR cut off with five and a half laps <sighs> to go. So... The last that I watched of the race, as it was, Palo was leading. Um, Power was chasing him down. Yeah, and then it went to the next program. Oh, my good God. So I did see it because I, I went back and, you know, found the last few laps on, on the Internet. But um, it was one of those things where if you're somebody who was watching the race later on and you had the DVR set to the exact window because two hours is what NBC allotted – you would not have known who had won the race. You would have known it was a Ganassi driver because they talked about Ganassi drivers quite a bit. It just was a different Ganassi driver that they were talking about for the entirety of the broadcast. Yeah, I thought it was. I, I, I thought it was great. The place looks fab. Although they do seem to have these power issues, the yeah. shore power, as it was described, went down. Everybody had to go and back up generators and, and some of the computers didn't like that. Didn't like that at all. Um, new surface there, Tim, and that provided some very quick lap times in the road to Indy races uh, as well as the IndyCar race as well. Yes. New, it's not that new a surface, though. It's been down uh, a year and a half now. They just haven't had an IndyCar race on it yet. That's a fair point, because the last time they raced there was 2019, uh, when Takuma Sato won that one. He did. See, I do take some stuff in that Lee Diffie tells me. One of only two road <laughs> courses where Takuma Sato's won. 
Uh, the one being Portland. Portland. Indeed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the one where where um, Dixie managed to reverse out with somebody on top of them almost and yes. still finished the race. How do I remember this stuff? And I can't remember why I went into the kitchen earlier on today. That's just very <laughs> odd. Your kitchen's odd less exciting than Indy car race, obviously. Uh, not when uh, Eve's cooking in it. Uh, not not at all. You uh, mentioned anything Indy else Lights. Uh, yes, go and, on. Uh, David Malukas and uh, Linus Lundqvist were the winners uh, in that championship. Yep. Uh, just 13 cars, but it was uh, quite... Uh, I, I have to say I didn't see it, although it was all on the race, which I completely forgot about. So, Darren, I'm sorry. Um, but it was all being streamed on the race um, here in in Europe. But it was such a busy weekend, I didn't have time to catch up because I was juggling two and four wheels and football as well. Uh, as well. Uh, no okay. rest for IndyCar though, because uh, this weekend oh. they're off to St. Petersburg. We love St. Pete's, don't we, Cher? Yeah, it's such a great track, and it, you know it's it's not the longest track on the schedule, but it is one of the hardest, the tightest. You think about all the moves Quick that have been made well. down throughout the year. Yeah, uh, the attempted passes going into turn one, um, the lack of attempt to pass, and instead just dumping people going into turn one. It always provides action, and I'm actually excited for this race. It's not going to be one that I watch my DVR. <laughs> Uh, Shay, you mentioned you'd done a lot of research for this week's show, so let's see what you know about St. Petersburg. Uh, question yeah. one, in what year was the first IndyCar race at St. Petersburg? Oh, 1998? 2003. Can you name Ooh. two current IndyCar drivers who took part in that race? Uh, 2003, okay. Um, Bourdais. Yes. Hometown boy. Is this full season drivers? We're talking about like people racing in the race this weekend. People who are racing this weekend. Okay. Um, So I will say Bourdais and... Ooh. Yellow car. uh, Dixon? No. No. Pagano? No. Ryan Hunter Ray. Ryan Hunter Ray is correct. Nice, John. Yellow car. That was the giveaway. Yeah. Uh... Who has started the most IndyCar races at St. Petersburg? Uh, again, taking place in the race this week. He is. Because normally I would say, I would have said Elio, but um, Borde. Uh, no, it's Scott Dixon. Ooh. He's only missed one, the first one, but uh, ah, he's done right. 16 in a row huh. since 2005. It's all good stuff for the wow. weekend. Which All three drivers taking part this weekend have won around the streets of St. Petersburg? All of them twice. Uh, Graham Rahal, James Hinchcliffe, and Joseph Newgarden. Uh, one out of three. It's Bourdais, Newgarden, and Power. Mm. Uh, Didn't Rahal win his first ever race at St. Petersburg? On the streets? You're right, he did in 2008. Oh! Yeah. Cheer! Double points for catching out the quizmaster. Who is the winningest driver around the streets of St. Petersburg? (laughs) Uh, Elio? Yeah. uh, Yes. Okay. Uh, And 
how many consecutive IndyCar starts does Scott Dixon have, not including uh, the one he's about to do? 230, no, 200 and, oh gosh, I just read it, 59? Higher or lower, John? Uh, lower than 259, I think it's 256. Nick? 4,242. So higher then. <laughs> it was 273. So Nick was closest. He went higher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all the questions we've got on that. Uh, once again, uh, we have a race at St. Petersburg this weekend, don't we, Shay? Yes, we do. So excited. The Itamitsu MX5 Cup is back and we have 24 cars that are going to be racing around the streets of St. Petersburg on Saturday times two, both races on Saturday morning and afternoon. So I'm excited for it. Well, such a busy weekend of motorsport across the RSL network of audio and visual channels i have no doubt that some of the best action will be in the idemitsu mazda mx5 cup uh, presented by bf goodridge tires which is on the streets of st pete's uh, on saturday uh, view the schedule for details we'll have the audio on rs2 imsa radio and we'll have streaming video as well of course at imsa radio.com to help us get ourselves into the right mindset. Celine Roland uh, joins us on Midweek Motorsport. Celine, thank you very much. My goodness me, sir. What a varied start to the season. High banks of Daytona, blank at finish. We have the bumps of Sebring, blank at finish. And then we move to the streets as, as... as Lee Diffie and and Calvin Fish would say, the concrete canyons uh, of of St. Pete's. Uh, are we betting against another blank and finish? Oh, it's good. It's going to be exciting for sure. You know, um, we've been uh, we've been putting on some great shows, and and I know that uh, that we've been getting a lot of new fans for the MX5 Cup Series as of late, especially with uh, with being with IMSA this year. Um, I'm excited. St. Pete's going to be a great race. Uh, I'm. Um, I was honored to get one of those wins and, and one of those close finishes at Sebring. But, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be exciting. I We went to St. Pete last year, and, and I, I, I didn't have the best luck, but I would say it is my, my favorite track to be at. Just, it's so enjoyable to drive. For, for those that don't know, Selene, it's not completely a traditional road circuit because there are actually some sweeping fast corners as you run back towards the end of the lap. Yes, there's, a, there's some 90-degree turns as well. It's a straight track. Of course there are. But it's it's not what you would call your traditional street circuit. Yeah, um, this is my only street circuit that, that I've driven, but I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of other other videos and stuff, and I've talked to people who, who've driven, for example, like Toronto or, or Long Beach, and and everyone seems to really love St. Pete. They, they'd say it's it's exciting. There's a couple passing zones in which I, I know, like you know, you look at at Formula One in Monaco, and there's there's no passing there, but I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome track and, and and great to watch, but. You know, it's it's going to be exciting, especially with our our low horsepower cars, our our Mazdas screaming through uh, <laughs> through those concrete walls. It's it's going to be exciting. Changes of surface 
as well. And you'll know this from being there. I, I have to tell you, my first laps ever around St. Pete was part of the V-Test programme back in the LMS days, and they were a driver short. So they threw me the keys to an Audi R8 with a, a stick shift and a six-speed gearbox. Oh, wow. Uh, one of the original um, uh, R8 uh, V8s before they went to the V10. So... I was flinging that thing around with no margin for error. And the thing that I really noticed was the surface changes. And even on the, the front straight, heading into turn one, because you're driving across the markings, because that's a runway, you get turn in, no grip, no grip. Oh, grip again. So it's all about feeling what the car's doing underneath you. Does the MX-5 give you enough clues around there? You know, not like, not really, you know, we do have ABS, we do have power steering, but it, it definitely doesn't like those painted services, surfaces mm-hmm. on the runway, like, like, like you mentioned, um, you definitely have to go into turn one, knowing what you're going to be running over and kind of being ahead of the car and knowing it's not going to turn the way you expect it to if those if those uh painted services aren't there and it's it's interesting because i'm actually a pilot myself and i've, I've flown into that airport many times and <laughs> it's it's so cool running over the, those runway markings in uh you know in obviously a very different uh a different scenery uh, the, the temptation there and I know because I did this, is you turn and you've got some grip, you've got some bite from the front end, and then the front end starts to push. So the temptation is either to lift off or wind on some more lock. And then the next half a second, you've got grip again, and then you're dealing with what's going on there. And it actually makes that turn one, in terms of particularly trail braking and turning into turn one, which is a fast entry, it makes it a far more difficult corner than it looks. Exactly. It's, it's kind of wild. And, and even if, and also if, you know, when you're trying to pass, you obviously, when, when you normally pass someone, you're going to be right next to that guy you're passing. So if you're, you're passing someone on the right hand turn, you're going to be right next to that, that person's right side. But with St. Pete, when that lane is on the center line stripe of the runway. Yes. So you actually have to be a little more right to that. And, and, you know, you kind of, it, it, it's so tricky, but it's awesome. And how have you done that in in the past, then, Celine? So we had two races um, last year. It was it was actually our, our final two races last year, and I qualified second for both races, but actually had a little mishap, a street a street course course mishap at the end of qualifying. We got the car fixed overnight. I think there was like twelve hours between qualifying and the race the next morning. Car got fixed, kept my my qualifying positions. Um, finished second race one and then race two, we had a little electrical gremlin, actually, uh, the, um, something similar that happened in Sebring race two, but went all the way to the back. I believe I finished fifth in, in a, a street course that, you know, there are a couple passing opportunities, but generally it is hard to pass. So made it back up. Uh, we've already, even at this early part of the season, uh, Celine, uh, we, we, we've already started, I think, to to see the the championship developing. Um, and yourself, Michael Carter, Gresham Wagner, that's third, second and first in the championship. A little bit further back, there's uh, Aaron Johnson, Sam Paley, Jared Thomas, Chris Nunes, all roughly the same as well in the championship standings. And that's actually how we're seeing the races pan out as well. Do you see that continuing through the season? Yeah, I, I I see that continuing. I'm, I know um, it was it was 
pretty it's been pretty similar in in the years past I, i've actually had gresham as a teammate uh the last couple of years and we, we split off in different directions this year but you know he's so fast and and you know he's he's an awesome driver and, and michael i've raced with him for you know probably about six years at this point even before mx5 cup in in the in the club racing levels and you know all of us we're we're, we're buddies and we know we're all fast and i think we respect each other on track but a lot of times it ends up being the three of us. I know um, Jared Thomas has has had some bad luck, but he's going to be there. You know, Drake's always fast. Aaron's getting faster every time he goes out. It's it's exciting. And, and you know, we do have some past champions in the field, and who knows what's going to happen in the next few, few, few races. Uh, you mentioned a word there that I think has come across in all of the races that we've seen so far, and that's respect. When you've got these cars that are so closely matched in a series that's so competitive uh, and which pays out, let's be honest, quite a lot of money as well uh, in terms of folding dollars from from Mazda, uh, that that respect, a lot of people might have thought that respect wouldn't be there. I, I find it a breath of fresh air, to be honest, Celine, that, that there is that respect and it's, and it's providing fantastic, close, but really competitive racing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we all know the prize. We all we all know what what we're racing for. But you know, these like I, I know um, like Sebring, for example, the first race when when Gresham, Michael, and I had that had that gap, and we weren't we we could have passed each other every every other corner if we wanted to. But we were just trying to to work together to get away. We know these are long races. We know if if we race each other hard, that second pack is going to catch us, and it's going to make that three car pack turn into an eight car pack. It it it's happened. You know, we, we we all know it's happened, and we all know how easy it is. It it could happen again, but we work together. We all we all have the same goal of winning. But you know, if we can get the three of us, or you know, however many are in the pack, to get away from another pack and. At that point, the worst finish we can have is third. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try to work together. Do you talk about that in the paddock beforehand when you're sitting having, you'll be able to take the guys to that nice little restaurant at the at the, at the airport at St. Pete. Do you talk about that or does it just almost occur by osmosis? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of, um, you know, maybe we'll, we will mention it very like in, on the grid before, but mostly we all know what we're trying to do and, and we all have our mirrors. We all see what's going on. We all see how the race is developing. And if we see that there's a little pack, we're going to push. I mean, if, if it's maybe if, if it's a whole train and when we want to lead and it's a track that we can't pass, then we'll, we'll go for it. But it's, it's kind of well known within the, at least the top guys in the paddock. Uh, with a straight track, there are several keys to the race. First one is get a decent qualifying and keep the car in one piece. That's Friday's job. Saturday, Race 1, uh, 8.35 Eastern. Our coverage comes up at about 8.30 Eastern. That's uh, 1.30 here in the UK on imsonradio.com. In Sound and Vision, by the way. Uh, and then the second race is at 20 past 4 in the afternoon. So that would suggest to me there's not a lot of room for error in the first race if you want to get any kind of finish in the second race that's yep you you yeah for sure i mean if, if you if you wadded up the first race there is not much time to fix that car i mean you you better hope maybe there's a backup car maybe maybe you can find a car uh in and in, in someone else's paddock to drive and but obviously <laughs> at that point you're gonna you're gonna be starting from the back but you got to manage your stuff at race one and i mean 
even even to that point that you're saying, race two, yeah, I mean, we obviously have a couple weeks from mid-Ohio, but it's only three weeks. I know last year it was the last race, so kind of the gloves were off at, at the end of the year, but we still have to race in a few weeks in mid-Ohio. Yeah, good point. I uh, look forward to that one as well, but we've got to get St. Pete's over this weekend. Both of the races, Saturday, 8.30 Eastern, we go on air in sound and vision, uh, and then about 4.15 Eastern as well. Uh, all the details and the schedule at imsaradio.com. Celine, uh, one thing I absolutely know is we're going to have a lot of fun with that at the weekend. Hopefully the weather will be good. Um, it's never been bad when I've been at St. Pete's. I think the local paper mm-hmm. still says that if it if they don't have sunshine, they give the the that day's paper away for free, don't they? So we're expecting a good race, mate. <laughs> yeah, should be fun. Hopefully, uh, the Hickson Motorsports eighty-seven car can can be up top, and I'm excited to get going. It's going to be fun. We're going to put on a good show. Yeah, keep keep that excitement coming. Thanks, Celine. Uh, Celine Roland joining us here on Midweek Motorsport, uh, and those times again at eight. 30 Eastern for our race coverage. That is uh, at 1.30 in the UK. All the details, that's for race one. All the details over on imsaradio.com. Uh, Tim Gray, where would you like to take us next? Well, I'm going to tell you that uh, that's not the next action on IMSA Radio because tomorrow night uh, we have the second of our IMSA iRacing Pro Series races, uh, which you can see on well, see and hear. Uh, if you go to imsaradio.com and that's tomorrow at 11.30 UK time. Well, it was a phenomenal entry into the European Le Mans series and debut for Team WRT in their LMP2 Orica Gibson at the weekend. Louis Delatraz, Robert Kubica, Ying Fier coming home some 20-odd seconds ahead of a very good field of... LMP2 cars in the first of the four-hour races this season. Delighted to say that joining us from Team WRT's base is Vincent Voss, the man uh, at the head of the organisation. First of all, Vincent, got to say congratulations. What an entry into ELMS, into LMP2. Uh, was it as you expected? John, we, we did not really uh, expect to, to win our first race. We, we were hoping to be competitive. Competitive means, uh, you know, to fight for the, let's say, top four, not to say for the podium. Um, you know, it's an extremely uh, strong field, uh, a lot of team with a lot of experience, and uh, we did not really expect to be in such a situation where you always have to say in, mo- in motorsport, you know, sometimes, you know, you are working uh, where everything is aligned, and, and for us, we made a perfect, uh, it was a perfect debut, but it was also perfect in terms of there is no it was a trouble free race and um, everything works well um, we had Louis Belletras at the beginning of the race which was uh, making quite a gap to uh, P2 which which helped us uh, a, a single uh, a full course yellow uh, and then and then uh, a safety car would, would have killed all this uh, strategy so you can never say that uh, you know we, we you have to be a little bit lucky you have to be you know, all of this is very, very uh, important. I mean, we did not, uh, we did not kill it. We, we just, we just, we were there, and we did not have, we did not have any issues, and where the others probably had some issues. Vosona, it seems to me, and I know it's early days for this, for this uh, trio of drivers, but it seems to me as so though Louis, Robert, uh, and Ying Fei have 
already created a very good partnership here. They seem to complement each other, which is so important, even in a four-hour endurance race, to, to get that, as we would say in English, to get that chemistry. You know, you have everything into that trio. Um, you have the, the great experience of a guy who spent years in Formula One. Um, I mean, uh, for the one who knows Robert a little bit, you know, uh, it's a guy which has fought very hard to be where he is today. Um, and it's a character. It's a guy who goes to the point. Uh, uh, he can be he can be hard, you know. He, he knows what he wants exactly, but uh, he knows what it takes. And um, Robert is a great person on the human side. Also, it's a it's a great person, which uh, it's it's really everyone uh, enjoys to work with. Um, and he's bringing a lot into the teams. Uh, where Louis is coming from, I think four years or five years in, in Formula Two, uh, a lot of experience of single seaters the speed of a young guy who, who fight for podiums in Formula 2, um, the great motivation uh, to make his future into this category. And then you have uh, EFA, uh, who is the young guy uh, of the three with the less experience, but with great talent, talent which bring him, I think, today one of the best uh, silver. And he was a key player in the in the result of the team, like like all the three of them, but it was a perfect uh, chemistry, as you said. Team WRT, that you and your team would race, I think, would race shopping trolleys and you would do it well if, if you had nothing else to do. You love your racing. You have passion for racing. So the uh, history and the emotion and the skill and the experience of Team WRT is undoubted. How easy or difficult has it been to convert all of that to running an LMP2 car from what you've been used to in the past? First of all, uh, the, main, uh, the main team, the main people of the team were the people running DTM the last uh, two years for Team WRT. So this is, um, you know, we did not really touch too much the GT crew. Um, we took some of the people who had experience in LMP2. Then we had mainly our DTM team. I have uh, great people around me. Uh, I mean, the result, uh, I have nothing to do with this. Uh, I have great people working with me and for me, and uh, they were able to set up this great uh, uh, crew together in, in a very few, I would say, to be polite, few months, but uh, I could even say few weeks, because we really decide the 15 or the 14 of January, we really decide then that we will do LMP2. Um, and there we enter the car in WEC. We had to deal a little bit with Oreca because there was no car available. And then from there, I think two weeks later, uh, I was in contact uh, to do a second, well, to do a second car, which will run ELMS. Again, it was uh, critical to get a car. So everything has done in few in few weeks, but you know it is motorsport. I have a lot of people around me who has a, a great experience, like uh, Thierry Tassen, which is running the sportive side, Jonas, which is my program manager, Seb Vigier, which is my technical director. All those three guys, they they just have done a, a great, great, great job. And uh, yeah, I can only uh, thank them for the job they have achieved. 
Von Son, you're not alone at WRT in in coming into prototype racing. Is this part of a longer term strategy with LMDH um, not too far away? A good opportunity to get some experience of running these cars. It would be unclever from my side to to, to say something else. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it, it's clear that uh, we are looking to run. Uh, a top category in the future and this is why we are here today and I, I'm, I'm not trying to hide this uh, I, I have no reason to hide it now uh, you know there is nothing done and we are yeah we, we are we are hoping that in the future we will be able to work in the main category which are the hypercar and uh, that doesn't mean that uh, the, that doesn't mean that uh, an LMP2 program will not stay in place or that doesn't mean at all that the gt program will will move i mean the gt program it's uh the main program at wrt today which is the biggest uh, you know engagement i would say from wrt and then uh, today we are just trying to put ourselves onto the map in the in the lmp uh, world certainly done that i think you've announced your arrival rather splendidly to be honest. Good luck for the rest of the season, Von Son. Pass on my best to Thierry and the rest of the team. It's been far too long since we've we've seen you. Uh, and good luck in the opener for the uh, the WEC uh, as well. It's going to be a tough old season, isn't it? Yeah, well, thank you, John. And I hope that, uh, you know, we won't wait too long to see each other. It's always a pleasure. And uh, let's, see, uh, let's see us uh, in Le Mans, I hope, at least. Yeah, I want to see you in a fun cup car in that race on, on Friday, Von Son. Time to get the helmet and the race boots back, back out again. You you guys build them all at WRT. I think it's time for Von Son Voss's name to be back on a race car at Le Mans. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Not too bad for a Belgian team to come back to Le Mans or to be at Le Mans with 104 cars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. I think that might be a record. It might be a record. Thank you for joining us, uh, Von Son. Good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Ciao. Well, Johnny Palmer is our voice of the European Le Mans series. He's uh, en route between Barcelona and uh, Paul Ricard, where he's doing uh, 12 hours of Le Castellet this weekend. Johnny, were you surprised that WRT won on their debut? Um to an extent, yes, because obviously they have massive amounts of experience in GT racing and in cars that are a touch slower than your modern-day LMP2. And some of the transferable skills are, are evident. However, it's about assembling the right combination of drivers, as Vincent was just explaining there, a mixture of, of ability and the fact that you, you need a, a relatively inexperienced part of those three drivers as in your silver and that's where Yifei stepped in and I mean just every credit to Louis Delatraz for building the foundations of the race on Sunday because once he was past Roman Rusinov the gap just extended and extended and that was a great place then for Team WRT to work a bit more strategy from Yifei I think was being caught at times during his stint and that's just because he's not used to having to deal with the traffic the GTs and the LMP3. So the drivers up against him, who um, remember correctly, Will Stevens, Tom Gamble for United Autosports, and Franco Cola Pinto for G Drive Racing. The gap was starting to condense a little bit to the Chinese driver. But then as soon as Robert Kubica took over, you just knew that WRT were going to hang on to that lead. It closed to just over 20 seconds, but that was all they needed and uh, a fabulous result. 
And, and Johnny, the, the event itself, I mean, we've had a number of people tweeting in, actually, about just how good uh, ELMS is. And it just seems to get better every year. Dave Olcock says, seems to get stronger grid every year. And to bring that grid to the track under the difficult circumstances, holy remarkable we've been seeing every year it seems for such a long time it's getting better and and it's not disappointed this year either certainly not i mean had it, had all the entries made it into the race and they were one or two unfortunately issues with people being positive uh, tested as positive prior to or before they actually traveled we could have made it to 42 cars that was the official entry which is just phenomenal. I mean, that's a step up, actually, from last year where we managed to do five of the six races and people wondered whether there might be a bit of a drop-off. That just isn't the case. And the, the entry for P2 and P3 just fit to bursting. GTs, we've got a lot of them and a little bit more variety as well because the TF Sport Aston Martin, I believe, signed up for the whole year. And then it's a couple of the brand-new Porsches to GT Am, that is, because the, the trickle-down from the pro car last year, now eligible as a customer car, together with this mass of Ferraris. So entertainment value in GT is definitely there. P3, so difficult to predict, as it was really on the Saturday in the Michelin Le Mans mm-hmm. Cup as well. And then, I mean, the, the creme de la creme appearing in LMP2, WRT, uh, Paris Racing back for a season. There's two United Autosports cars, three cars from um, Stuart Cox's team, Algarve Pro Racing, with the two from G-Drive Racing, of course. So, you know, you can't really ask for a great deal more. Uh, And we've only had one round. Yeah, uh, quickly, when's the the next round and how long have we got? I know we've got WEC coming up and we'll see, as as Vincent was saying there, he's got his second car, of course, is in the WEC. When do we see ELMS and MLMC again? Weekend of the 15th and 16th of May. So four weeks from the weekend we've just had. That'll be Red Bull Ring in Austria. Uh, and listen, I, I really enjoyed listening to you and Graham at the weekends. And I thought the work that you did on um, the Leash Year series as well was great. Those cars sounded fabulous. They do. They do. And I'm told that the, the, the entry is going to build through the year. Again, you know, there's one or two problems actually getting cars to the venue. We all know the reasons why, but it's a good foundation mm. to build. And I thought actually provided great racing for, for the two hour long affairs. So really good. Yeah. And this weekend, you're doing the 12 hours of Le Castellet. Who's joining you for that? That'll be Joe Bradley, Peter Snowden, and Lucas Gajewski looking after the pit lane for us. Fantastic. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. Uh, and we'll run down all of motorsport that we've got in virtual and in full metal racing uh, in this next hour. Uh, thanks to uh, Vincent and to Solène for joining us in uh, Hour 1. Coming up in Hour 2, Nick Damon will be back with his team by team uh, as he looks back at the Grand Prix with the longest name ever and managed to sell it to two different title sponsors uh, <laughs> at the weekend at uh, Imola. And uh, we'll also have some more news. And we, I suppose we'll have to have a bit of bikes as well because we have bikes back at the return of the Marquez. Uh, that's all coming up in hour two. Plus, your tweets, please, at Specutainment, if you'd like to get involved. It's the big interview next. Midweek Motorsport. On RS1. 
Well, delighted to see that joining us here on Midweek Motorsport for the first time in unbelievably almost exactly two years. Uh, that's the last time that we spoke to the British Motor Nation Marshall Club Brand and Communications Officer, uh, Dave Smithson. Dave, thanks for finishing uh, up your dinner and, and joining us on, on Midweek Motorsport. Man, what a couple of years since we, we last spoke, eh? I know, it's been... Uh been amazing hasn't it john it's it's great to catch up with you again of course and uh yeah who'd have known you know two years ago when we last spoke that uh what was going to happen what, what what was in the uh in the offing for the future but uh it's been a strange 12 months to say the least to say the very least and yet a, a, a 12 months when all aspects of motorsport i think have covered themselves with a, a massive amount of of, of respect uh, and done themselves proud, whether it's been F1 teams turning out respirator parts and stuff like that at the beginning, whether it's the initiatives from, from Ron Dennis and getting millions of meals out to national health workers, or whether it's been the community itself keeping itself together on Zoom or whatever it's had to do so that we were ready to go back motor racing at various times in the last 12 months. And now again with... Or dare I say, normality looking on the horizon. What's what's been the highlights for you, Dave, and the BMMC? Well, as you say, there's been been so much going on. It's it's been uh, you almost forgot about what you just mentioned there. The the work that the the, the motorsport community did in helping uh, develop um, respirator parts and, and, and equipment. It was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't it? What they did, and, and as you say, the Ron Dennis initiative. Um, and, and yes, it was the first. You know, the, the first part of the pandemic was a was a strange period. Everything suddenly went on hold. None of us were we knew what to expect and how long it was going to go on for. It was all a very strange and surreal experience. And it was fantastic to see touch to keep people communicated. I know there's um, uh, in my neck of the woods, uh, Oulton Park racing. Um, fan page on facebook and and so everyone started to say well let's post our favorite pictures to keep ourselves going until until we get out of lockdown and and that's uh, we've literally just finished in fact some people i think are still doing it we've just finished lockdown three day 98 of no racing at open park and it's been fantastic to see how people have engaged with that i i suggest as well and and i'm suggesting this and, and also knowing it because I've spoken to enough people and I'm, I'm incredibly honoured to be an ambassador for the, the British Motor Race Marshals Club, as, as you well know. And I think that volunteer spirit that we have in motorsport, and it still surprises so many people when I tell them outside of our sport, that even at the highest levels of sport, the, the biggest meetings the most professional motor racing events can't go on without the volunteer marshals who are, in my mind, always professional in any, everything other than the fact that they get paid. But there's, there's a volunteering ethic there and ethos, possibly more importantly. And so I know there have been people out in their own communities on the NHS responder scheme. I've been on that since the beginning. And the amount of people that I've bumped into who would normally be wearing orange is mm-hmm. is remarkable. It is, in some ways, a, a state of mind. And some of the medics are, are, are putting jabs in arms even uh, at, at, yeah. the, at the moment. But it is a state of mind, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a very good point. And as you say, it's that volunteering... Uh, mindset that volunteering ethic that we have as as marshals we you know i still 
find it uh, astonishing how people react when they learn that um, that we do this for free and that mm. we, you know, and, and for those of us that uh, that love to do it and, and, and love to go traveling and combine a bit of traveling overseas with an F1 event, be it to somewhere like Canada or even Australia, which I've been fortunate enough to go to. And I know colleagues who've been there to, you know, um, to, to Baku, to, to Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain and, 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 um, and Abu Dhabi, you know, people people from the Marshall community in the UK go all over the world, and they do it for free. They do it at their own expense, and people really uh, are often shocked at that. And um, given that they perceive there's uh, billions washing around in the sport, but you know, it's what we do. It's 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 what we like. We just love what we do, and and it's that passion and being trackside. And you know, we do have the best seat in the house. And you look at last year, you know, what happened at Silverstone, John, and you know the two back-to-back events. Empty, no crowds. You know, you, I can remember back in 2019, I think we had about 120,000 at yes. Sunday. It was absolutely rammed. And last year it was empty. And, you know, so much so that you know, the masters were allowed to drive their own cars to post and that sort of thing. Wow. It was, it was phenomenal. It was so uh, surreal that, that, that there was no crowd there. But what was interesting, the amount of people that applied to become marshals last year during the Grand Prix, because hang on a minute, if, if we have another one behind closed doors, the only Good. way you're going to get there is to be a marshal. And you know, those lucky and fortunate enough to be selected to, to, to go to Silverstone for the, for the two events last summer were, were in a very unique position. And, and so there are some perks and some benefits of, of that. But, um, I mean, going back to the volunteering generally in the community, I saw, I mean, I, some of our some of our marshalling colleagues are actually NHS frontline staff. I think yeah. of Samantha Goodge and Sam Collinson are two two examples of names who spring to mind. I know there's many others out there who are actually that's their day job. That's their full time day job is 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 nursing or or, 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 or frontline sort of uh, NHS roles, uh, and they were very heavily involved in, in the first phase of this. I know for for a fact, and and then I know other colleagues who who volunteered like your good self and even drivers. I remember seeing yep. Josh Webster was driving for Tesco's, I think. Yeah. Jade um, Edwards was doing some overnight Jade deliveries. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know, I know that she was doing it at full season of, of, uh, of British touring cars for her this year. And yeah, well deserved yeah. that is good friend uh, of, of this organization. Dave, Dave, what, obviously things are changing, particularly mm. here in the UK. And I'm, I'm, we're going to be, a little bit parochial and talk about the UK, although I know we've got marshals and corner workers, flaggers, call them what you will, and whether they wear white or orange, they're all doing a great job around the world. Um, but we'll be a little bit parochial and talk about the UK here. Um, things are beginning to look a little bit better. Um, has that changed then how you've had to operate? Because, I mean, presumably last year there were was the... I mean, how how do you even do it? I, I I wondered this at the time. I think we asked it on the show. Did you have to have fewer people on the posts? Did yes. you have to spread people out? Um, you know, social distancing on a post. Yep. Yet you've still got to be covered for safety, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and that was a huge challenge to the to the organising clubs, to the chief marshals, and 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 everyone who was involved. Motorsport UK setting parameters and giving guidance. Uh, working in conjunction that they, they they were working with uh departments of culture media and sports on behalf of the government obviously so um huge amount of work by a lot of people um putting that together again you know a lot of those people are, are all volunteers in their own respective roles understandably so yeah we we did have to limit numbers there was a limited amount of marshals on post so there was a, a each circuit did a did a, a review in in conjunction with the 
the organising clubs of what was the bare minimum that we could operate with, yeah. um, and you know keep social distancing. There was changes in in, in the way that we responded to things, uh, and in, indeed a lot of those uh, measures that put in place are still in place currently. I mean we are. You know, not far away from seeing that, that that light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, is 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 getting brighter each day goes by at the moment, John. But um, we're not quite out of the woods yet. We're still applying that same that same sort of measures that were, were brought in last year. So there's still restrictions on the amount of people on post. So when a, when when there's a driver pull off or needs attention or whatever, the first thing we do is is get a thumbs up from them, and we try not to have to have more contact than is absolutely necessary um drivers normally wear helmets in cars i I mean you know we know that and and so in some respects we've been fortunate as a sport because a driver is almost he's got gloves on he's got a helmet with a visor so he's almost any driver is almost in their own bubble but as soon as they step out of that and start to disrobe you know have have we had to be educating the drivers to say, right, you need to have a mask on now and, you know, oh, oh, I'm pointing you where to go rather than leading you where to go. Yeah. I'm just basic things like like that, Dave, is a, is a is such a, a big change for people, particularly because if people are stopping, normally something's gone wrong and therefore the, they might not be quite thinking in the right way. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're right. And, you know, that's, that, that's been another challenge. So, you're making sure that we're sending you know, as marshals that we're giving very clear signals and signs and and, and, and and hand signals are very very clear to the drivers what we expect what we want of them. I think by and large, I mean we're, we're our whole lives have been taken over by COVID, haven't they? So I think yep. it is in everybody's mind. It's it's in all their drivers' briefings, etc. But yeah, even simple things like if you know if if if, if the driver's vehicle is put on the back of a flatbed and and, and dragged back into the paddock. Uh, by the recovery crew, he can't come with it anymore. Ah, so of course. We, we yes, because you'd normally sit in the cab, wouldn't you? Yeah. I've yeah. done that. I've, you know, hand up. I've done that. I've come <laughs> back in the cab before. It's the most ignominious of ways to get back, <laughs> particularly when your team's waiting for you and you climb down out the cab. There's really nowhere to hide at that yeah. point. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's procedures in place for that. And, um, what what has happened is normally one of the one of the uh, ambulances is sent round for them. So, yes. you know, uh, often hear the call to can we get a taxi down to taxi. whatever post? That's what they, that's what they're calling it at race control. Can we send a, a taxi for the driver round to post seventeen or whatever? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's lots of changes and things like that. We've up to we've obviously had no taster days over the last twelve months. So right. The recruitment of marshals has taken a big hit. Well, in in terms of being able to process them and get those. Those, those keen and eager, enthusiastic new bodies, you know, ladies and, and men who want to become a marshal out on, on track has been has been uh, impossible to and do. And does that mean it's been difficult for you to do, I know marshals, like racing drivers, you can upgrade. And to do that, you've, you've got to yeah. do different things. So has it been impossible yeah. for you yeah. to do that? And does that also mean like some race series, you've had to hold people's level without necessarily being able to do refresher courses and things like that. This is all logistics, isn't it? It's all paperwork. Yeah, yeah. So there's been no upgrades at all for the last 12 months, John. There's been no assessments, no no, no um, uh, on-post assessments whatsoever. It's just, they've just everything's been put on hold for the time being. Right. We obviously, the sooner we can get out of that, the better. I mean, th- this... Normally, a lot of the training is done through the winter break period. Um, we have had um, 
various uh, online training refresher courses have Good. been run over the last uh, four, four to six weeks in preparation of the new season. And and that's great just to sort of dust off the cobwebs a bit, just get people thinking a little bit about yep. our, our procedures, our practices, re- reminding people about uh, you, you can do these things on, online through Zoom or Teams or whatever these days. I mean, we've all been doing it in our day jobs again for 12 months, so it's not that new a thing for us now, Good is point. it? Um, Nothing quite like being out there, though, in the wind, the rain, the snow, even that we've had the last few weeks, Dave. (laughs) A couple of meetings, a couple of weekends now uh, behind us here in the UK. Uh, Still, and we should make this point, if you're listening in the UK, there's lots of motorsport going on, um, still behind closed doors at the moment. So be patient as a spectator. Um, What, if anything... And, and, and this is a perhaps an odd question to ask, Dave. But has has anything positive come out of this? Have has any you know um, challenges to things? Because sometimes the only way change happens is if somebody comes along and challenges and has to think a different way. And and out of adversity, sometimes m- new ideas come out of it. Has has that happened here, or has it been just a question of standing still? No, no, we've 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 done various different things have been done differently. So, so prior to events, pre-event, during the, in the week leading up to the events, marshals uh, having to sign on for an online system in advance of the meeting. So, that that's new, that's different. We're having to sign uh, declaration forms to say that we you know, we've not tested for for COVID in the last whatever days. We have to sign a declaration for that. Allocation to posts is being taken sometimes prior to the events or even remotely. Um, we're having to send so post chiefs on the day um, are having to do uh, send their reports electronically from post. There's nobody coming round in the car in between sessions. Good point. There's no, no clerk of the course coming round in his his, his his Ford Mondeo to pick up the reports. Um, and they're, so they're all being sent either. Not uh, all clerks or... drive Ford Mondeos, and you know it. <laughs> it just happens to be a few do. That's all, Dave. Now come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, you, you understand the gist, though. But yeah, so we're we're sending reports in from post on the day electronically by, I say, either uh, WhatsApp or email or, 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 or photographing the report and sending it that way. Good. Uh, that's been done. Briefings are carried out differently electronically in some cases. We haven't obviously we have, have to respect social distancing. We have to work with masks on. I know. The, the 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 lads and lasses who run the the start lines are running up and down the start lines and the grid and all the cars up with masks on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know. That, that, do, you, do you think some of these, particularly that electronic aspect you've talked about for things like like uh, post reports, do you think that that likely will will stay in place even when we get back to whatever the new normal is because i can see there that there's an element of time saving there that you don't have to send a car around um okay it doesn't mean that the paper copy is going to disappear per se that can that can be filed away afterwards but but i can see that 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 might continue afterwards that might be one of the things yeah absolutely so there are some things I know that are already being talked about as, as well. We could we could continue that post COVID because it's it, it makes it more efficient. And, yep. and you know, uh, I know I'm having conversations with colleagues at work in my day job on a, a similar way. I mean, we we've managed to survive for a year without having to go to work. So you know, we're already making plans for that. And, and in the same way, you know, those you know, organising clubs, chief marshals, Motorsport UK will be. We'll be looking at, and, and we as a club as well would be having a, a, a you know, an input into that, and, and, and via our 
Vera Chair, Nadine Lewis, who, who who represents us at Motorsport UK on, on some of the committees there, will be will be feeding back the thoughts and, and, and views of the club and the marshals and the experience that we've had. So there will definitely be some elements of of good practice that we've developed over the last twelve months. We'll say, well, that can continue in in in, in the new you know, the new way we do things. How how do you think then it's going to look going forward? As I say, we've had a couple of race weekends here in the UK to get back into the swing of things and some fabulous racing at the the classic meeting at, uh, at Dono a couple of mm. weekends ago, which was was all streamed. And it, I mean, me not travelling, I've seen probably more motor racing from more different places around the world than ever before, which sounds odd coming mm. from somebody for whom watching and talking about motor racing is uh, is yeah. is my life. We really are in full yeah. swing as things are coming back back together. So you still need marshals then. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've, um, as you say, we've had a couple of weekends already. The uh, uh, last weekend, I was out at Orton Park for a bark event. We've now got a break actually until about the third week in May at Orton. Right. And so, I think one thing we have seen is is some of the early season events have been pushed back in a bit later into the season to fit with the the time frame that the government set out when they when they set out their sort of four step. I think it was, wasn't it? April the twelfth, May the seventeenth, sort of review dates. Um, some of the major championships, the BTCC, British GTs, or whatever, reorganised their calendars. So then everybody else had to shuffle around them. So I think what we'll see is is a, a slow start, sort of April, May into to, to, to June, and then it'll accelerate massively, and, and we'll see. Back-to-back events week yes. after week, after and week that is that, July, I mean, that, poten- that potentially causes a problem because you know, yes. as you said, everybody's given up their free time. Yes. First of all, there are fewer weekends to put the events on, uh, and secondly, you know, you, there is an element of of fatigue. As much as we all love motorsport, that you know, people have other time pressures uh, yes. on them as well. So I presume that you would like to be recruiting um, as soon as possible. Yeah, and I think we, we will get some 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 clear some, some you know, guidances being updated and reviewed regularly. You know, we, we can't have trainees attending purely in a shadowing capacity at the moment, no. but they can come if they're fulfilling a function and, and and learning on the job to continue their training. So we can't. It's not a blanket ban on trainees. The, the, those that have not started yet have not done their taster days. We can't do them. But so the, some of the trainees, if they're fulfilling a function, if we're struggling a little bit to to, to fill all the posts, then they, we can get them in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's happening because we have had limited numbers. Um, as soon as that starts to relax and we can have a few more, those that uh, you know, there's, there's a fair few marshals out there frustrated that they're putting their name down and not getting selected every right. week. So right. the, the, again, chief marshals when they're selecting their team for the week uh, are keeping a close eye on who came last week and who's going next week. So they're trying to rotate it yes, so everyone gets a good. fair crack of the whip. But when um, when those restrictions are lifted and then we can have more. I think there'll be plenty of people chomping at the bit to get back out there, hopefully. And, and as travel and be- restrictions change as well, it means people can travel further afield <coughs> from their local cir- circuits, which I think will will help a wee bit as well. Before I let you go, um, got to talk about the award of the 2020 Barry Williams Trophy for the BMMC Marshal of yes. the Year. Now, clearly, the circumstances delayed the presentation of the trophy, uh, but that hasn't stopped... Uh, uh, an honour uh, being given to the Marshal of the Year for last year. So tell us a little bit about the Marshal of the Year for 2020. 
it's a it's a, a, a well-known likable figure uh, south midlands member david joyce so uh, many people are also known as the hairy dj and um yeah dave dave david was our was our recipient of the barry williams trophy our 2020 uh, marshal of the year award uh, we haven't announced them yet we're about to but we've also um awarded the the, the cadet marshal award uh, last weekend as well and we're about to uh, announce the the winner of that and oh, the good the other uh, awards but yeah uh, dave is due to um just go in hospital in may and will be absent from from the bank a while whilst he recuperates so we we arranged for the for an impromptu presentation of the war to him in uh, in his garden recently nice. and uh, yeah, he was delighted he said uh, he was uh, really grateful for the surprise and um, as he said because he's about to go into to, to hospital and um he's going to be absent for a while he it was a good mood lifter for nice. him and, good uh, yeah, he was delighted. And, and Been in Orange since 2007 and yeah. 59 more days to hit 1,000 days, which is yeah. magnificent. Dave, yeah. it's positive. I like it. It's good. It's good to know that the uh, absolutely invaluable work of marshals all over the world, and particularly here in the UK from the BMMC, uh, continue. Uh, I, I'll do the plug for you. Uh, marshals with s.co.uk if you want to know more all the information's there you might have to be patient until more restrictions uh, are are lifted but we can never have enough marshals we can never have enough marshals and you've heard me say this before that we could do without some drivers we (laughs) might be able to do without one or two officials and we could certainly do without commentators uh, if required but we can't ever do without the marshals. So we thank every one of the men and women in orange or whatever colour they wear around the world. Dave Smithson, thank you very much for joining us. Say hello to the rest of the team um, and particularly our national chair, Nadine. And uh, and good luck for the rest of the season, mate. Thank you, John. Thanks very much. And to to all our colleagues around the world, I know quite a lot of us do do travel and uh, we we build and, and develop and maintain friendships that last for life. So... Um, yeah, hello to all our, our colleagues and friends around the world on behalf of all my, my friends and colleagues here in the UK. And uh, have a great season, everybody, whatever whatever challenges you're facing. That's Dave Smithson, who has joined us tonight on Midweek Motorsport, uh, communications and brand for British Motivation Marshalls Club. Tim, where would you like to take us next? I'd like to take you to the Simcast, which is tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on RS1, where... Uh, Matt will be getting his hands on a Thrustmaster uh, and they'll be joined by Angus Fender and James Baldwin uh, who I believe won the British GT eSport Championship. You believe or did he win it? Did he win it? Well, I don't know. I have I have not been following the British GT eSport Championship. He's definitely won something again. Okay, right. Uh, that's for 9 o'clock by On The Grid. And this week, Zane Goddard is the headline guest, fresh from a breakout performance uh, for Matt Stone Racing at Simmons Plain in Tessie. Uh They'll be getting his thoughts on stepping up from his part-time 2020 programme, what it's like playing with the big dogs at the front of the field, and his hopes and dreams moving forward. Uh, they'll also have a full weekend debrief uh, and uh, what worked and what didn't in uh, Tassie, as well as their thoughts on the uh, Formula One at Imola and IndyCar at Barber. That's on the grid Excellent. at 9 o'clock tomorrow. And then at 11.30 tomorrow, yes. uh, we have the Imsa Rye Racing Pro Series, round two of the 2021 Championship. Where are we this week, John? 
Uh, we are at virtual WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Uh, Nick and I will be on the air at 6.30 Eastern. That's 11.30 UK with the race starting just after that. Again, it's an hour-long race. And again, it's two classes. Uh, that is going to be the standard format for this year. And that's on Thursday, 6.30 Eastern, 11 30 p.m. That is, uh, and that's on IMSA Radio in Sound and Vision. Yeah, yes. imsaradio.com. Uh, if you, oh, that's is the place for all things IMSA, and Tim's been doing a lot of work on the archives, so you can access all the previous year's archives from there as well. It's all searchable, very clever. Don't know how he's managed to do it. On, then on Friday, Friday, we begin our coverage from Le Castellet, the Creventic Hankook 24 hour series. Uh, moves on for its third race of the year. Johnny Palmer will be joined by Joe Bradley and Peter Snowden in the commentary box for that one. They have uh, qualifying on Friday at and night practice fifty-five, and then night practice is yeah. uh, at night. That's at six fifty-five, and then the race. Is that your microphone twanging there. Yeah. So when I picked up the uh, <laughs> bit of paper that's got the times on it, so I could see them. I uh, knocked my microphone stand. Uh, and this is race... a bit different at Le Castellet because it's a it's a all done in one day race on it, Saturday. It's a twelve hour it? race that takes twelve hours. So uh, <laughs> race starts is at ten a.m. local and finishes ten p.m. local. Uh, our coverage starts at eight thirty in the UK uh, with the countdown the to green, and then over on RS three uh, a few hours after that, the VCO Nurburgring twenty four hours. Uh, which really? Nick Damon uh, will be commentating on, along with Peter McIntyre. Peter Mackay. Peter Mackay. Who's Peter McIntyre? Yeah. I have no clue. Uh, and our colleagues over at Race Sport TV. And it's 46464, which sounds much more like a tennis match than a motor race. But uh, So it's Nick and Peter doing the first four hours, then the Race Sport guys will take over for six, and then four six. And four at the end. That obviously will run all the way through till Sunday. Yeah. And there's a little Billy bonus for you on Saturday and Sunday with a. Hang bit on, of a I've got to mention the Mazda MX-5 Cup. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, two races, both on Saturday from St Petersburg, thirteen thirty in the UK for the first one, and twenty-one fifteen, nine fifteen in the evening for the second one. Uh, if you're in Florida, just take five away from those times. Got a lovely early start, 8.30am start for that first race. And finally, across Saturday and Sunday, and again in Sound and Vision, as is everything that we've talked about uh, from Thursday night onwards, uh, it is the Monaco, the 12th Grand Prix de Monaco Historique. Yeah, dues that would be, wouldn't it? The Duzième Grand Prix de Monaco. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it is practice uh, or qualifying at least on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have that? Are we going to have an audio channel spare for that? We're not, are we? On on, only for bits of it. The the okay. morning sessions will be on RS three, uh, but the mm-hmm. afternoon sessions uh, you'll have to go to radiolamont.com and uh, look at the video. The lovely video. Uh, that's Andrew Marriott as, along with Bruce Jones. And me, and then on Sunday, we'll put the audio on RS1 and we'll have the video as well. Yes. From uh, there are 
a wonderful selection of cars. There are seven uh, grids. Grid A is the pre-war Grand Prix cars and voiturettes. Uh, grid, grid B, B a pre-61 F1 and, and F2 yeah. Grand Prix cars, obviously yeah. my favourites. Uh, grid yeah. C is sports racing cars with front engines from 1952 to 1957. Any personal favourites among them, John? Or was it too difficult I, to choose? Um, I haven't had a proper look at the entry list, if I'm very honest, because I want to get the IMSA race out the way first before I get my mind into the historics. Group D is Formula 1 cars from 61 to 65. All the remaining groups are Formula 1 Grand Prix cars from 61 to 80, split up into five-year blocks roughly, although uh, E is actually from 66 to 72 and F is from 73 to 76, which is a much smaller uh, group and uh, you'll understand why. The video coverage for that starts at 7.30 UK time on Saturday and 8 o'clock on Sunday. Actually, about 10 minutes before both yes. of those. And I'm told there will be some nice displays as well, which I'll let Excellent. Bruce Bruce and uh, Andrew Marriott discuss. talk about. <laughs> Reminisce. Plenty uh, on then, eh? Yes. Details <laughs> of everything apart from Monaco are on the website. We're just waiting for final confirmation of uh, times for Monaco, and then that will go onto mm. the website as well. All right, super dupes. Uh, let's turn... The, before we, we were looking forward there, let's look back to last weekend and... Oh, hang on. No, it. we're not going to do that yet. Oh, no? No. Okay. Uh, Boeing next. Now, if I was to say that uh, I'm going to talk about Croatia's number one rowing superstar, Mm -hmm. you would be wondering whether I was going to talk about Martin Sinkovic or about his brother, uh, Valant Sinkovic, wouldn't you? Uh, I'm I'm sure I probably would. They are the Balkan kings of sculling, winning the gold medal at the Rio Olympics in 2016 and uh, silver the first gold ever by the way for Croatia in a rowing event silver four years earlier mm-hmm. and less than a week after winning European Championship gold together in the Coxus pairs at Varese earlier this month uh, Martin Sinkovic and it is him that this story is about traded in his oars for a powerful turbo engine and experienced the magic of one of the most adrenaline fueled motorsports. Oh, so he didn't just put the engine in the boat and clear off all the, the competition? Because honestly, if you put a powerful turbo engine in a, in a skull for a cockless pair, you would have a somewhat of an advantage, wouldn't you, to be honest? I think it might sink. <laughs> Depends how quick you could skim it across the top of the water. What was he driving, Tim? He wasn't. Uh, Adrian Formo was driving, but he was the co-driver as they uh, took on the course that awaits the drivers of the FIA Rally Championship for the first Croatia Rally, which uh, starts this weekend. Starts tomorrow, in fact. Oh, does it? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. I'll be watching that. Uh, they uh, found themselves together in the a Ford Fiesta. It's the yeah, first. Let's hope he doesn't have to use any of his rowing skills. It's the first. Although Oitanak uh, went underwater in a Ford once, didn't he? He did. Uh, it's the first time a World Rally Championship race has been held in the Balkans. Uh, no. Yes. They've where's, had, uh, where's Tanak from? He's from Estonia. Is that not in the Balkans? No. Okay. That's the Baltics. Okay. 
close enough. A couple of thousand miles off, but yes. Uh, Sinkovic said, I thought it was going to be very exciting, but I didn't know rally was this challenging. You drive through narrow streets, there are many bends, and it takes a lot of skill. It was a lot of fun, but also a bit scary to be belted up in the passenger seat without having any control. As a driver, I'm used to hitting the brake in order to control the speed. Here as a co-driver, I had to brake I could hit when I panicked, but all it did was turn the wipers on and off. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Sinkovic has invited Formo to uh, join him rowing on Lake Jarun. Uh, and 4-0 said, it was great. I like this rally track. I'm very happy to be here. This is going to be my first driving time driving for M Sport in the headline WRC category. And I hope for the best possible results at the Croatia rally. Okay. Sinkovich is back in training uh, with his brother where they're looking for their third consecutive Olympic medal in Tokyo this summer. Now, Nick okay. Damon is still with us. Sorry, I, I just dropped off during that rally not, story. I do apologise. Uh, I'm not surprised. Rally and rowing. Uh, I don't mind rowing. Rowing's fine. But, you know, rallying... You actually found a story about rallying, which wasn't even about a rally. It was about a person running around a rally course. Mm. I thought and that it, might appeal to you line, more. Ever since I was a young boy, I wanted to go around a rally stage with some of the bloke. It doesn't... I'm, again, eclectic and weird as ever, Tim, but that's... Um, yeah. It's that time for Nick Damon's review of the uh, Grand Premio... Emilia Romana, Made in Italy, TM. Made in Italy right. was first, actually, I think. Was it Made in Italy with cheese? Mm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I have one question, and then I'll let you do your team by Go team with, with Tim. Um, mm-hmm. In the big scheme of things, whose mistake was bigger? The uh, outbreaking himself on the damp, trying to pass lap traffic by... The man who'll be world champion for the eighth time this year, Lewis Hamilton, or Tizai Leclerc for not passing the Red Bull of Max Verstappen, who will not be world champion this year, um, when he fell off the track behind the safety car. Oh, I don't believe um, what Leclerc was doing there. That was ridiculous. He should have. He wasn't paying attention at all, was he? No, he didn't know. His ah. radio wasn't working. He thought it was a grid start. He didn't know it was a rolling start. Uh. Really? Yep. That's why he didn't go past. Ah, well, that makes... Because I, I, I was lit. That was the, it's the only time that I had any interest in the Grand Prix. I fell asleep shortly after that, I think. Um, I was literally shouting at the television, saying, why haven't you gone past? I mean, it should have been a grid start, but let's not get into that now. Well, why was it not um, a grid start then? I mean, I, I, listen, I, I know... No idea. Michael Massey decided that a significantly drier track than they started the race on was more dangerous than the... Uh, the, the, the regs do there. say, though, Nick, do they not? 14 point whatever it is, point whatever it is. Yeah. That, it, that the grid start is at the race director's discretion. Yeah, but we've had them every other time. There's been a red flag. I mean, quite a few of the last couple of years. So, I, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't, in the scheme of things, I'll tell you, in the, in the scheme of things, neither of them mattered is the answer to your question, because Lewis still finished mm. second, which is where he would have finished without the, without his whoopsie. And do, you not think he had, do you not think he might have had a better no. chance of winning because he no. was looking no. after his tyres? No. No. no, no, no. No. Verstappen set the fastest non-DRS-assisted lap. Right. About four from the end. It's not a great so, track to race on, is there? Because there's nowhere to pass. And without DRS, there was hardly any pass on unless people yeah, fell off. You say without DRS, but actually, I thought this track 
showed why with these cars, if you accept the cars look as they do, which we have to, do they change? It actually showed why you need DRS. And I thought it was one of the the biggest adverts for it. Those four laps when um, Norris was doing a great job holding Lewis back, when they came to the end, came through the first UK and the gap was 0.3 three of a second, yeah? Mm -hmm. Lewis, every time they got up the start finish around two thirds of the lap round, where of course you can't go past, it was up to nearly 0.8. That's because that's as close as you can get, even with the fastest car, because the aero wash, there's nothing you can do. The best driver in the world can't get any closer than that. So, the only way you're going to get past is you negate the fact that Lewis, that uh, Norris has gained half a second from chucking his dirty air out for half a lap, which is there's no talent of his in doing that. That's not great driving, chucking dirty air out. So therefore, you say, okay, fine. To negate that, we'll make it easier for the guy behind to get past you because your dirty air is dropping down. So actually, I thought it was a really good indication that particular track where there's one chance to get past and it's Fulham a leader, as you quite rightly say. That showed why I don't, you need DRS. With these current regulations, the strange thing is that next year, with the easy-to-pass cars, they've still got DRS. So they're yeah. going to be going, so it's going to be too easy. Uh, the I, plans I just don't like the easy-to-pass, uh, Nick, we have no evidence that they actually will be right. any easier, will it? We're running out of time already. Time. I, don't, I don't like them racing there. I found, I found that like a transatlantic flight, mostly tedious, but with... Uh, bits of absolutely terrifying things, like you know, like when you get the turbulence in the middle. Uh, F1 team by team, and Nick's got 27 words for each driver. We're going to start with Williams. Six. Yes, and they they came last and next to last. Um, interestingly, I one of the, one of my observations um, throughout the race, I kept thinking, I, I recognise this race, I, I know this race, and all these ridiculous incidents, I know this, and I realised it was just like an i racing event I've been in at Imola. Um, Apparently, you add water, a bit of water to a track, which obviously is non-IRC, and everyone loses their ability to drive and, and starts doing ridiculous things. Nicholas Satifi, after a couple of laps, did an incredibly bad rejoin, which is something that happens an awful lot in iRacing, uh, and took out, um, well, it collided with, but luckily didn't, didn't end the race of Nikita Mazepin, who, everyone, who I was going to blame for it as I saw the replay. Uh, but no, he had, Satifi was responsible for his own demise, which is a pity because he actually put in a really good qualifying performance, actually. And he looked, I mean, his Q1, Run was probably the best of any. It was lost in the in the mire of everything else, but it was a really really good time putting in Q one. George Russell ugh, lost his copybook. I don't know. Uh, effectively, in another iRacing-esque idea, he went to go round the outside of a driver, got on the grass. The grass was, was uh, there's no grip. He speared across the track and uh, took out Valtteri Bottas. I think. The more you look at it, the more you realise it was a, a light error by George with a big, a small error with a big result. So, um, Should he have apologised? Yeah, I'm lucky on that one. Yes, because he, he overreacted. He did, he did again. And in another eye racing thing, he started, you know, when someone crashed into it, he started flaming the guy. But only because he wasn't doing it online, he was doing it direct to his helmet and banging him on the head. But uh, yeah, absolutely. He, should, he, should, he didn't necessarily need to apologise for. The incident, he certainly needs to apologise for his actions after the incident and his doubling down during the interview sessions. Let's um, move on to Mercedes. Yeah, the incident was a little bit unfortunate. Um, Mercedes, OK, well, yeah, Valtteri Bottas was involved in that incident with George. Um, and the question everyone's asking, why on earth was Valtteri Bottas anywhere near George? Uh you know, Effectively, nearly a lap behind uh, Lewis Hamilton and already a lap behind... Max Verstappen about 30 laps and the answer was because he isn't very good at turning on his media his intermediate tires and he just couldn't get the temperature and then he just drifted back then got stuck in traffic which is odd 
uh, again and just had another disappointing performance exactly the same with these very similar conditions or perhaps slightly weather conditions in Turkey last year. His teammate though um, was going really really well obviously a uh, great poll for him on Saturday not a great start well actually I suppose his start was okay but it was a better start by Verstappen he was muscled out there perhaps he should have been a bit of discretion but part of Valor it's 50-50 in the first corner um, and then did another kind of racing thing which is make an over-optimistic attempt at passing uh and then when he got on the gravel, he thought he had he could actually steer out of the gravel and instead hit the wall. So we've all done that. But um, then he kind of finally stepped reverse, got back. He'd lost the lap. But luckily, you know, his teammate decided to disintegrate and that gave him the red flag. He got the lap back, which some people were moaning about, which is a bit odd because that rule about getting the lap back has been in for six years, eight years, Tim. Yeah, um, a while. Know, and they go, oh, no, it's, it's Formula One favouring Hamilton again. No, they've been doing it every single full safety car. Anyway, so uh, and then drove very, very well from helped by both Raikkonen and Perez throwing it off the track in front of him, but drove very well to get back to second. And interestingly, um, discussed this, he actually, I think, ended up with more points than he would have done, because I think that if that race hadn't been uh, red flagged and he hadn't crashed, uh, he hadn't crashed and hadn't crashed. So to you, carry on as normal. I think that Max Verstappen would have got the fastest lap. Yeah. So the fact that he managed to get the fastest lap with a DRS, oddly, that accident, that that whoopsie, uh, ended up um, being a positive for him. <laughs> he got an extra point. Out of it. So you know, further into the speech than I expected, we're going to do Haas. I know it's amazing, isn't it? Massapan. It was all going so well till he spun in qualifying and uh, in the end we thought he could get through, but then right at the end of the race he spun again. So, yeah, not particularly good. Um, Mick Schumacher also had an instant uh, by overly aggressively uh, warming his tyres and went into the barrier, but the rest of the time he was okay. I think the only thing we can say about Schumacher is he's better than Mazepin. I have no idea how good he is compared to anyone else, but he's better than Mazepin. He was making an absolute I think it's hard to judge either of them in that car, to be honest, Nick. There, there was one session yeah. where Mazepin was faster, wasn't there? So, well, I don't know about the sessions. Where we didn't they, they, they two sessions. Yeah, uh, they two sessions that count. That's qualifying in the race. Aston Martin. Well, yeah, they they, they had some a weird rear brake issue caused by a brake by wire problem, which meant they're going to the grid. I think both of them, certainly Sebastian Vettel's rear brakes caught fire. I think Lance Stroll's maybe had a big problem as well. And then Vettel effectively, after having a dreadful race in Bahrain, decided to have a race where nothing went right and it wasn't really his fault. You know, after having to have the car worked on the grid, he then got a stop go penalty. They had gear syncing problems. He was the, the guinea pig for going on to dry tyres. And you can't, you know, firstly, the only plus point is he got 61 more laps, race laps on the Aston Martin. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't actually say anything negative about Sebastian this weekend. I just think he was desperately unlucky. And, and, and you know, and they retired him deliberately. Oh, yes, they retired him deliberately so they could put a new gearbox in. That's right, with a, with a lap to go. Um Alfa I Mayo? think Lance Stroll's driving quite oh, well. Okay. I mean, the Lance Stroll, yeah. I think Lance Stroll, I actually think Lance Stroll's driving quite well. That car, we know, has been heavily handicapped, and hence Otmar Schnaffner um, trying to uh, take the uh, threaten to take the FIA to court, the most ridiculous kind of petulant three-year-old tantrum ever. It's not going to happen. Same rules for everybody. And, and then saying, oh, no, you've got to change the rules mid-season. Mid that wouldn't work anyway, Otmar, so forget it. Just stop moaning and get on with it. Um, Lance Manager has got the car into Q3, 
on both occasions this season, and historically he's qualifying with his Achilles heel, well, it seems no more. Drove pretty well, made a bit of a mistake. I mean, he, he got past Pierre Gasly at the end by going over the gravel at the first chicane and didn't give it back, which is a bit silly because he would have got past him again. But So he ended up going from uh, seventh to eighth. But, you know, a few points, I think he did. I actually do think he did pretty well. Alfa Mayo. Antonio Giovinazzi, I genuinely don't know what he did this weekend, and I'm not good nor bad. Kimi Raikkonen um, was constantly involved in, in bits and bobs, wasn't he? He was, he was running quite high up. Then he made a mistake in um, uh, the restart procedure, which he spun off and then didn't get his position back, which is odd, as we'll talk about another driver who did get the position back, and that caused him problems. And then he got a, a ban for that after the race and dropped out of the points down to 13th with a 30-second um, penalty. So, uh, yeah, Kimi and Antonio are a bit disappointed. I would think also after doing, after seemingly having begun to bridge the gap to the faster midfield in Bahrain, Alfa Romeo will be a little bit disappointed by a, a backing off a performance relative to everyone else uh, in Imola. So they've got some work to do. Alfa Tauri. Mm, right. Yuki Tsunoda is the next best thing ever. TM. However, Yuki Tsunoda is also a rookie, and this was a really, really poor weekend for him on a number of levels. The first one being, of course, that he's done an awful lot of laps, Imola. They've been mm. pounding around there in the 2018 cars. It wasn't like he was coming to didn't know, and just kind of overdrove and overtried. He, he threw the car off in the first lap of qualifying, did a lot of damage, which is just ridiculous. And then he threw the car off again in the race, trying to get past Lewis Hamilton on the restart. And I think none of these are really great moves because they're not, a, the Hamilton one's not going to stick, even if you do it. So, you know, the, I don't think he's choosing his battles particularly well at the moment. Um, though his battles were chosen way better than the tyres on Pierre Gasly's car at the start. But, um, See what I did there? He's here all week. Thank you. Um, thank you. Gasly went on to, to uh, full wets at the start. Uh, the only one of two drivers that did. The other, sorry, four drivers. The other two were the, um, I think the half is, which doesn't matter, uh, and uh, Esperant Ocon. Uh, unlike Ocon, though, he didn't come off them as soon as possible, and in the end, he was seven seconds lap slower and holding everyone up. Uh, Where would you finish if you'd been the on the intermediate from the start? Um, probably fourth or fifth, because it's like he he also benefited dramatically from from the uh, the reset. So he wasn't that far behind where where, where he was going to be, and he wasn't of the total pace even the dry poo. So Lance Stroll, I don't think got past him. So I think he would be probably four, five, or six. Red Bull. Um, but it was a good performance by Pierre. Slightly scuppered by tactics, and obviously after the uh, the disappointment of Bahrain, he's he's back and uh, again a good qualifying. He's putting himself in the shop window because um, I don't think he wants to stay in the Red Bull program for much longer if he can avoid it. Uh, Red Bull next, Nick. Uh, Sergio Perez. Yeah, Sergio was brilliant on Saturday and blooming awful on Sunday. Uh, yeah, Sergio really did not have a good Sunday in the first part of the, uh, the first 30 laps before the red flag. Um, he was, uh, he managed to get himself a stop go when he spun wide during an earlier, during the first uh, safety car caused by Nicholas Atifi's accident and uh, then came back and um, uh, lost, the, uh, then got his positions back and actually ended up having to, to uh, serve a penalty. And then of course he was in slow, which he blamed on, on, on issues with his steering wheel. And then in the second half of the race, he uh, he fell off and made it easier for uh, he didn't score any points, which meant that Red Bull didn't take didn't get to take the lead in the constructors championship, and he made it easier for Lewis to get closer to Verstappen by not being there. Uh, Alpine. 
Um, Fernando Alonso not going very well. Esteban Ocon going quite well. Um, Alonso looked a bit off colour. Uh, Ocon proved what a lot of people thought um, after, even though the, the, the core numbers were against him in Bahrain, most people thought he actually did a lot better and was just caught out by bad luck. And certainly, despite only finishing a couple of seconds ahead of, of Fernando, he was definitely the better driver all weekend. Uh, Fernando said he got a lot of experience because the car was in 17 different conditions, but he's going to need to go slightly quicker uh, if he's not going to get beaten by his young teammate moving forward. They were only eight tenths of a second apart across the finish line, though. Yeah, but the, 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 the amount gained back during the stoppage period was massively more for Fernando than Esteban. Uh, we'll move on to McLaren. Yeah, great result for McLaren um, and a great result for Lando Norris, who picked up third. Could have been third in qualifying, but uh, did the old track limits and ended up in seventh behind Danny Rick. Um, it's just shown that being in a team uh, really, really helps when the conditions are tricky. I mean, it's a point where Danny Rick not obviously 100% happy with the McLaren. Uh, come from McLaren, so not happy. Come from McLaren, and then perhaps not knowing all the box of tricks in the wet. Lando completely embedded in the team, just looked too quick for Danny all weekend. To the point, of course, where Danny had to let him through, and then Lando was faster by a second, second and a half. Sneak past into uh, second place by taking the soft tyres and getting the, the, the jump on Charles uh, Leclerc in the restart, and then did some good driving to hold off uh, Lewis as long as possible. And I think absolutely maximise what the McLaren can do. So great points for McLaren. And Lando really began to come into his own. It's taken him a couple of seasons. His third season, he does seem to have really pushed forward and, and begun to be uh, you know, a genuine contender for those who are saying, who's the next great thing in F1? Uh, finally, Ferrari. Um, I didn't mention Max Verstappen in Red Bull, did I? He didn't, but we know he won, so... Um, Max Verstappen won and also proved, as did Lewis, that sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. And it's even better if you're lucky and you're good because he had a nasty snap spin which could take him out. I say it dropped him back at the restart, but it didn't. And the other 63 laps, he drove brilliantly. So, uh, in fairness, it was a great weekend for Max after slightly disappointing qualifying. But he was showing a very good attitude. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Even when he had problems in qualifying, he wasn't there to get down. He knows he's got a fast car. Um, so, yeah, I think he, it's really, if he can keep it together for the next few races, make the most of it whilst it is the fastest, definitely the fastest machine. Um, Ferrari, Carlos Sainz, who was only, well, Charles Leclerc spun on the way to the grid, um, but managed to regain his position. Then Carlos Sainz spent the whole of the first 10 or 15 laps falling off the track because he'd managed to get past Pierre Gasman and others hadn't. He just, just rejoined five or six seconds further back, but hadn't lost any positions. He's, uh, scuffing off the whole time. Um, not having a great time in that first period, but once the restart came, the Ferraris were a lot better. Um, they're not as quick in a straight line as McLaren's were causing them problems. Uh, they do seem a little bit better than medium speed corners of which, you know, Michigan, they couldn't obviously make the places up. So they managed to get fourth and fifth. Charles, good qualifying, probably maximised what the car could do. Uh, and Carlos Sainz came, came back well from a particularly dodgy start to the race. So good points for Ferrari. And they're definitely on the up after last year, but there was only one way to go. Thank you, Nick. John? I have a quick tweet to go off the back of that. Daniel says, wouldn't a grid start when there's a dry line on one side of the track and it's wet on the other be asking for trouble? Yes, but it was wetter at the start, I think, was the point that Nick was taking. I don't disagree with you necessarily there. It was equally uh, wet on both sides though, at the start. Yeah, well, that, uh, fair point. Maybe that was that was what... I, I'm not sure... I, I would not like to have to, um, Massey's, Michael Massey's job, um, but I don't think he's showing that he's the best I've seen at it uh, he said diplomatically but I still wouldn't like to have his job and you don't know what other pressure's been put on him do you uh, got some sad news uh, this evening before we move on to 
bikes. Um, a very bizarre accident uh, last week uh, that took the life of Richard Parry Jones. Now, uh, Richard uh, was the former vice president of global product development, chief, tech, chief technical officer and head of global R&D for Ford. Uh, he had a, a an accident on his tractor uh, from, and he died from his injuries um, five days ago. Um, he was one of the preeminent engineers of his generation. Why am I talking about him now? Because I remember him racing, and Tim probably remembers this as well, in Ford Fiestas on the Talker package when he was one of the big wigs at Ford. He used to go rallying as well. He was a genuinely nice bloke, always remembered your name and was very smiley and very funny and always wanted to talk about cars and engineering. He oversaw product development for Ford worldwide and if you've ever driven a Mark 1 Focus or any of the early Mondeos and and wax lyrical as I often did about Mark 1 Focuses, about how well they're handled for effectively a family box that was down to Richard and his team um, he was famously quoted as saying that building a supercar is much easier than creating excellence for the millions he created some very very good cars that were turned out uh, shelled out in the millions came up with an idea um, it was called I think the 50 meter test where and, and this was partially influenced by Sir Jackie Stewart actually um, whose feedback on cars was always very good, although he wasn't an engineer, but Richard Parry Jones had a lot of time for Sir Jackie. And, and Richard always said that a good engineer could learn more driving slowly in 50 metres in a car than he ever could hammering round at top speed uh, on a track. Um, almost went to, to Volkswagen, uh, but didn't. Uh, uh, and once he retired from Ford, got involved in a... Uh, a number of different policy groups, including the Wealth Government, the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. Uh, he was chairman of Network uh, Real and a council member of the Royal Academy of Engineering. And as I said, met him many times, smashing bloke, uh, and he will be must missed by Sarah and his family, Richard Parry Jones, who died a few uh, days ago, five days ago. Uh, time to squeeze in a bit of news uh, on IndyCar, if we've still got Shea. Shea, you still there? Oh, I yeah. suggest not. Uh, no, we'll indeed. see if we can get Shea back and uh, quickly talk about MotoGP with Nick. Uh, Mark Marquez is back. Mark Marquez did not win, though. Which proves he shouldn't be back, surely. Have we lost Nick as well? A good part of his, uh, his, his recuperation, wasn't he? He was, he was, I think he did as much as you can do after nine months away from a bike. It was interesting that, uh, you know, it was, it was must in the bike around a very, very difficult portmanteau circuit, which was just a little bit too much. But he was able to hang on to the track. I mean, I think the interesting thing was he wasn't that far behind, which was plus point and good news. Anything, of course, we now know that because most of the riders are riding the limit of the tyres, as we saw in Qatar, mm. no one's that far behind anymore. So where he actually is in, in, in open competition, it's, it's more hard to say. But he was, a, he was an absolutely flawed performance by him. He didn't fall off, which is particularly important. He scored points. I, he beat people who did fall off. He beat people who couldn't be bothered, like Maverick Vinales. I'll tell you um, what really impressed me was that the only time he'd done a race distance was when he did the race distance. He hadn't done more yeah. than six laps before that, and not six flat-out laps. 
uh, either. I still don't think he's fit. He, he, no, he's not. He didn't look fit. Fit. Um, I, but the only way he's going to get fit is by riding the bike. And yeah, and he's been banned from riding the bike by his doctors till the next race. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes, they, they, obviously he's put a huge amount of strain over their arm, which needs to fully recuperate. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a slow process. But if if people keep binning it and not trying. You know, apart from Fabio Quattarado, um then they've got then, then there's a chance he might still have an, op- an opening for the um the championship. I mean, I, I go back to what I said when we talked about this last week. I think he, he, I genuinely think he'll win a race this season. I do not think he'll win the championship or even be in contention for it. No, I agree. Quattarado wins the race. Tim, uh, Shay is back with us, and we have. Well, let's finish bikes. Let's finish bikes. Okay, so Quattarado, uh, Fabio Quattarado. Won the race. Sorry, I thought you wanted to make a point about Quattararo. That's why you want to. No, so Fabio want to move on. won the run the race and and looked pretty good. Sam Laws had a big shunt in Moto Two, but uh, as a number of people have pointed out on Twitter, on airbags, great because that was a huge high side. Mm. And John McPhee um, uh, ha- had these penalty for fighting uh, and sort of scrambled up through the field in Moto3. Moto2 was, I think, was the best race of the weekend this weekend, which is not usual, but that track suits Moto2 better than some others, I think, Nick. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I, I, I didn't catch that much of it. I obviously saw Sam's crash, but I, I did think we had a good race in, uh, in, the, in the top class as well, actually. I think it, it, it ebbed and flowed. And it, it is a very tricky circuit. You saw a couple of really, really nasty injuries, obviously. Uh, one of which in uh, Takai Nakagami managed to come back from, even though he's beaten yes. up black and blue. Um, and um, and the, uh, what's the, the Ducati rider who's, who's broken his heels and his, his hand. Um, the, the guy was on pole last time. I'm really sorry, my brain worry, has faded on me. We're, we're, we're pushed for time anyway. Uh, let's go back to Shea Adam for our final story tonight, Tim. Uh, and this is an odd story because uh, two weeks, well, even last week on the show, we were almost uh, able to do a story, but we ran out of time, uh, about NASCAR veteran Jennifer Martin, Jo Cobb. Yes. Uh, who was about to make her Cup Series debut. Uh, but no longer making her Cup Series debut, Shay. Denied. Um, the NASCAR Cup Series competition has decided that she is not able to participate this weekend. She is not uh, necessarily fit for participation. She has run a lot of races under the NASCAR banner. Uh, 217 Camping World Truck Series starts, or yeah, it's back to being called Camping World Truck. Um, since 2008 she doesn't particularly run well in those and in all candidness but she does compete on ovals frequently she was going to run with rick Ware racing this weekend at talladega but the nascar cup series has determined that she is not approved to compete which we've seen in the past for drivers who have limited stock car experience or limited uh, super C- speedway experience but this did come as a bit of a surprise. Well, her last race was at Talladega in 2018, was it not? Uh, ooh, I could not tell you that. But I know that it's been since 2018 that a woman has participated in the top tier of NASCAR. And that was so, Danica sorry, Patrick. Sorry, that was our last cup race. She she has raced this year. She did a, a full season. She didn't qualify, actually, for the first two rounds last year in the um, Camping World Truck Series. But she's done the six races this year. Best finish of 18th at Daytona. 
And she's got 30 you know. Xfinity starts to her name as well, albeit yeah, spread absolutely. across yeah. 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's going to be a lot of controversy about this year, isn't there? There is, but also it's not the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Rickway Racing tried to enter James Davison in some races last year, and the Cup Series said that he was not experienced enough because, of course, with the the way that the COVID uh, protocols have been put in place, they no longer do the practice sessions. So it's a safety regulation um, based on whether drivers would be able to get up to speed quickly enough in the course of the race. But it, it is going to be a little bit controversial because at least Jennifer Jo Cobb is a name that's well known in the stock car world, and she does have a lot of experience under her belt. Mm, uh, I suggest that we haven't seen uh, and heard the, the last of that at the moment. Uh, it's creating quite uh, an issue. Now, um, uh, uh, another American story to finish off on. Uh, Alabama spring football... Last weekend had 47,000 fans. What's going to have more than that, Shea? The Indy 500 has been announced as being able to have 40% of normal race day capacity, which means 135,000 people will be let into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the race. But here's the important thing. Masks will be required. Temperature checks to get in at the entry gates. No infield parking and no mound usage. So in other words, that beautiful grassy knoll on the inside of turn four, that's normally a massive party area, will not be a party area and will be very much green once again this year. I watched doing... the uh, Indie Lights race a few years ago from the uh, mound at town, uh, turn two, which is a, also a great viewing spot. Uh, I'm doing the arithmetic on that. What do we think the capacity of Indianapolis is? I thought it was closer to 400. Mm. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah. So if the capacity is 400,000, 40% would be... Ah. 160. 160. Mm. But, but that could be... Um, 400,000 includes all the people who watch from the infield too, considering that the infield would be closed off. Maybe 135 is 40% of the grandstand capacity. Ah, possibly. I wonder also... Because um, they were talking about uh, Alabama Barber last weekend having sold out, um, but they only had an allocation of ten thousand, and that included all of the teams and drivers and hospitality yes, people point. and media and officials um, huh. within that quota. So I wonder whether uh, the Indy Five Hundred is having to count those people within so its I, I... quota too. For, if that's forty percent of capacity, then that means capacity is three hundred thirty-seven and a half thousand. Is that right? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, three hundred thirty-seven and a half thousand. Um, okay. Uh, we've gone over time, so we'll be getting told off by the responsible adult. Uh, check imsaradio.com and radio-show.co.uk for all of our shows tomorrow, uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. It's a busy one. I'll leave you with uh, this thought. Uh, Tim, you should know this one. Um, Liverpool FC, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, FC Midgetland. That's Super League League formula. 
Yes, very good. <laughs> Didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> lasted longer than Super League. Uh, on that note, uh, I've had parties have lasted longer than European Super League. Yeah, well, that, that, that's uh, that's true enough. Uh, that is true enough. Thanks for being with us tonight. All of our guests have been super, as have our contributors. The responsible adult uh, was Eve Hewitt, and there's a busy weekend. Try and catch as much of it as you can. Sound, vision, lots of excitement. A little bit of something for everything, whether it's historic racing, whether it's full metal, or whether it is in virtual reality. We've got sprint, we've got endurance, and we've got a lot of fun across the RSL network of audio and visual channels. And don't forget the two magazine programmes tomorrow night from 8. From Tim Gray, me, John Hindoff, and the rest of the team. Good night, God bless. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.